Now that that could be interesting. I mean, thanks, Kai. <laughs> I'll let him work this out. Nope, he's not done yet. <laughs> he's just trying to let you know something. Yeah, yeah. I think I think a delivery person dropped something off, and he uh, had to, he had to warn the world. Well, that makes sense. It's a good guard dog. I, he is, he's a good watchdog and alarm dog. He's a very bad actual guard. <laughs> like he, because once the person gets close, then he flops on his belly and asks for love. But he will tell that you is very true. vociferously that 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 person is coming. Oh, they're coming. Oh, they're here. I love them. <laughs> Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that misses rolling dice so much. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. And uh, this is episode 216, in which uh, we're running out of things to talk about. So we've decided that we're just going to do baseless uh, speculation on what's going to be coming after Psychic Awakening, because eh, why not? You know, it's... Uh, you know, it's one of those moments where there are no games being played, or very few games being played. I know some areas are starting to open back up, but uh, short of games on Tabletop Simulator, there's not been a lot of 40k going on, and while um, we could be trying to put together strategy articles or things like that, uh, we're going to, for the time being, we're going to leave that to our, our nice friends at Goonhammer, who are much better at that than we are at the moment, so... Uh, <laughs> Hey, I know where our strengths are and, uh, you know, and I know where their strengths are and their strengths are much stronger in this period, in this area. So uh, we're just going to, so we're just going to talk about, it's just going to be kind of a, wouldn't it be cool if, what do we think uh, of this or that? Yeah. So that's going to be our main topic. Uh, But as always, we're going to start off with news, new releases and your listener mail. Um, Main news now is that the Games Workshop web store is open again, and they are processing orders once again. Um, And uh, I do love the fact that uh, they did try to limit traffic to their website. So if there was a big rush, um, the people like the system wouldn't get they wouldn't overload themselves with orders that they wouldn't be able to process because from what I understand, their warehouses, they are limited in how many people they can have in the warehouse at a certain time. And so they can, you know, it's cut down in the number of orders they can process at once. But they have opened up the store, complete with the Q video by James Workshop, which is brilliant. <laughs> uh, I, I highly recommend watching it on YouTube. Um, and of course, the British have known how to queue for a very long time, so they're about to teach us how. Uh, full disclosure: I did make a purchase once the U.S. store was open. Um, because uh, I I wanted to support them and also like I've I've been trying to split my business between various local stores, but I also want to support G Dub. So and there's mm-hmm. a number of items that it's just easier to order directly from GW. So I went ahead and ordered um, three of the new like I ordered the new Canonist like the multi part Canonist kit, the new um, Hospitaller and the new Dialogus, so I can actually have a good looking Dialogus model. 
Um, it's a really neat looking model. It is a really neat looking model and so much better than like not even <laughs> a contest between that and the old one. And then like a couple of pots of paint. I did not order any Nolan Oil or Agra- Agrax Earthshade. I actually have backups of those still but uh <laughs> but i thought it was interesting like they did a top 10 list of like thing like products that were ordered and it was like uh agrax or shade known oil lead belcher retributor armor <laughs> it's like just like all these <laughs> the base colors that everything uses and so you know the the floodgates are opening i know stores are actually starting to get their uh either their back orders or they're getting their restock orders now so like even if your local store can only do like carry out or like curbside or I know some stores do mail order right now. Um, I know some stores in our area are starting to open up to like we can have 10 people in the store at once and everybody has to wear masks, but we can actually like do business again. They're starting to get in their GW product. I know uh, some of our local stores finally got in their shipments of Prophecy of the Wolf. So people can get their hands on Ragnar and New Gasgol. So, you know, that's good. So the the wheels are starting to slowly turn again and people will be able to get stuff in house and get stuff into their hands. Whether they'll be able to play or not, um that remains to be we we don't know what that's going to look like anytime soon, but um it is good to see it's it's a small sense of normality returning, maybe not a lot, but some. Yeah, no, it, it's yeah, it, it is interesting because it also you know, it means that you can go pick stuff up in stores. You can support those local local stores as they reopen. But also, and from a purely kind of selfish perspective, it means that they'll, you know, they should be starting with like new releases and things as well. Like there were no new releases this week because they were opening up the, opening back up the web store and, you know, putting out the old product. But going forward, you know, we'll start seeing these other Psychic Awakening books, these other models that have been teased start to be released and shipped. Uh, which will, you know, give us something to talk about. <laughs> yeah. And, and now, like, I know they've said that now their factory's not open yet. They're still working on getting guidelines to mm-hmm. open that up. But that that is coming, um, obviously. And I know their paint provider, last I'd heard, was had still shipped, switched over to doing, like, hand sanitizers and such. So mm-hmm. we'll see um, when they're going to be able to switch back over doing paint production. Although a lot of those companies, they don't have to convert their entire product line to doing hand sanitizer. It's like, since they have reduced demand for other things, they, they have the capacity to like do both at once. So I'm sure GW is right. not running out of any paints at the moment, but, uh, but no, it's, it, you know, it, it's a chance for them to get stuff out there. And, and so I imagine, yeah, we're going to start seeing, uh, seeing previews and, and hopefully like our preview copy, like preview copies of, of the new psychic awakening books will be rolling out. I'm looking forward to hopefully my local store, uh, Pulp Fiction. Uh, they announced that they're going to be doing limited store hours and again, you know, limited access and things like that. But hopefully there's a white dwarf waiting for me. Cause I'd white dwarf 453. I'm still waiting to get. So that's the one that has death watch rules. The, the upgrade updated death watch rules from psychic awakening. So that'd be kind of nice to have. Yeah, uh, and they are, while they do not have any pre-orders going up, they have started releasing details on the new Mechanicus stuff that's going to be in Psychic Awakening. Uh, they talked about, they gave some more details on the three builds for the Archaeopter, which I, I, I think looks neat. I still, I know some people are not fans of the Da Vinci Wing design, but I, I really dig it. I, I think it's a very 
I think it's a very unique idea. I there's some things about it that I'm not 100 percent sure I, I like, but uh, I, I think it's going to be a really cool kit that I think a lot of people can do some really cool conversions with. Mm-hmm. And then they actually detailed some rules for the new weapons on some of the new uh, like the new riders and flying units that they've got, like the sulfur breath on the uh, Cerberus sulfur hounds, which <laughs> is a, a D6 pistol flamer at like strength four ap minus one no cover automatically hits and they have a rule that lets them fire pistol weapons after they've advanced so so this thing can like advance on you breathe on you and if they get stuck in combat they just keep breathing on you (laughs) and then the riders themselves are like dual wielding pistols or they've got another one that has the uh, has uh an archaeo revolver which is pistol one but strength five ap minus two two damage so that's actually pretty nice. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it things are starting to the wheels are getting moving again. And then obviously in a couple of weeks, we should have another. I think they said they were going to do another uh, web preview in, in May. So we should be seeing hearing word on that sooner rather than later. So. So, yeah, and things are starting to open up a bit more. I do have a bit of sad news, though. Uh, our friend Nathan Martin announced this week that uh, the event that he runs, Show Me Showdown, which is one of the other uh, big 40K events here in the Kansas City area and one we look forward to attending every year, although, you know, this year it was up in the air whether, you know, they he was hopeful that they would be able to continue forward. However, unfortunately, uh, their event is held at a school, and in fact, uh, their event is primarily a fundraiser for, uh, I think, the business education team at that school. Mm-hmm. Um, the school has decided to keep their facilities closed for the summer, and thus, they do not have a space, and thus, Show Me Showdown 2020 has been canceled. Um, uh, and hoping to to return in 2021, obviously, uh, as are we with Midwest Conquest. So, like, I totally feel Nathan's pain on this, where, you know, you hope for the best, but, you know, you just kind of have to, you know, and if it's a situation where you don't have a space to, to have it at, you just don't have a space. And that's one of the downsides of being a, a tournament organizer is you are at the whims of the providers of the space. And... Uh, so, unfortunately, he will not be able to have that event this year. I'm sure that uh, when it, when things have settled down, the event will come back as big and awesome as it was, you know, as it was going to be this year, next year, possibly even more so. Um, and speaking of events that we had canceled, but we want to continue on with to, to some, uh, in, in some regard. Uh, for Midwest Conquest, on the Midwest Conquest uh, Facebook page, we are putting up a fundraiser. That fundraiser will be for the benefit of Wounded Warrior Project. Now, in the past, we have raffled off one or more armies at Midwest Conquest to uh, raise money for Wounded Warrior Project. And unfortunately, I do not, we will not, this is not a raffle. There will be no armies distributed. But if you want to give money towards that cause, and especially with everything going on right now, people can definitely use all the assistance that they can from their communities. Um, if you want to donate to that cause, there will be, uh, there will be a uh, donation link on the Midwest Conquest uh, Facebook page. We'll link to that. Uh, we'll share that around on, on, our, on the Preferred Enemies page. 
uh, as well. So if you want to donate to that fundraiser, we'll have that open probably through the end of the month. And that basically will be the equivalent of us doing our raffle. But again, no, no prizes other than a thanks from us and the satisfaction of being able to give to that cause that we would have been supporting this year anyway. Ah, is there anything else that's been really going on? Um, I know that there are some humble, humble, uh, <clears throat> I know that there are some, uh, humble bundles of like, uh, GW video games, uh, that are still available that are being used for like COVID-19, uh, fundraisers and charities. Uh, so go check those out if you're interested. I think we've talked about them before, but ah, yes. those are still up. So I actually, uh, thank you for bringing that up. So, um, I, th- okay. So they had one up and I think it has ended now. Uh, they had one that was basically like starter, like the first novel in a bunch of different black library series. That one is, mm-hmm. has ended. So it is no longer available. Um, they do have video games on their humble store. So it's not like a bundle of games, but you can get the games and apply some of the money to a charity. They do have a bundle though. And I picked this one up. Um, for, of uh, the Death Watch role playing game. Yes, that's the yeah, that's the one I was thinking of that I saw. Yeah, yeah. So, it, it, and it's actually kind of funny about this because, like, a few weeks before everything went down, I actually <laughs> I was working on rearranging my bookshelves and I had like a complete set of the Death Watch role playing game, and I was like, this is taking up a lot of space, and I do not know if I'm ever going to get a chance to play this. So anytime soon. So I went ahead and I, I sold them all off at half price books. And then this humble bundle came out this week. And I'm like, Oh, for like 18, 20 bucks, I can just rebuy the entire collection <laughs> in digital format, which for me works much better. Cause it's like, if it's something I'm really only going to have for around for reference or maybe to do as a one-off, especially right now when we're all gaming remotely anyway, um, this works really well. So I highly recommend checking it out. If you're at all curious about the death watch game, which, uh, cubicle seven is selling it now. So I'm don't know. This was originally produced by fantasy flight, but I think cubicle seven has the rights to all of it. So I, it, I, I don't I think they've sure. changed anything with the, with no, the game no, it's the same like, game. All the covers and stuff, but yeah. I was uh, curious if they were like if this because the uh, the core book the revised core book for Wrath and Glory is now out in digital format as well. You true, can buy yeah. you can buy that from uh, either directly from Cubicle Seven or through like Drive Through RPG, which is where I bought it. But I don't. Okay, so I don't think they sell those games separately anymore. But this is basically they have the rights to distribute it. So this mm-hmm. is really the only way to legally get these right now that I'm aware of. Um, they might, they might have them on drive-through. I will check real quick. But even as such, you're definitely not going to get as good a deal. No, as no. You would for this. So okay, so and, and Death Watch was always a fun game to play too. Like that was one of the more fun uh, versions of the 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 old Fantasy Flight system that they had. Yeah. So okay, so Death Watch is available in PDF form on the uh, on drive-through RPG. Uh, again, via Cubicle 7. They're not advertising it on their website, but you can get it through DriveThruRPG. But to give you an idea of what the savings you're going to get on this is, the core book for Death Watch is currently marked down on DriveThruRPG at half off at $30. $29.95 for just the core book. 
or over on Humble Bundle, you can buy the entire set of books for 18 or more if if you want. If you just want the core book, that's a dollar. The the core book plus like a quick start adventure a couple a, a couple of adventures and a 20% off discount for their web store is a dollar. So if you've ever been remotely curious about this, it is totally worth it to check it out. And the charity of choice for this particular bundle is Doctors Without Borders. So absolutely a great cause. Um, and you can – the great thing about Humble Bundle is you can decide how much you want to get. Like you, there's basically a three-way slider. How much of your purchase do you want to go to Humble Bundle as like you know for fees and processing? How much do you want to go to Cubicle 7? And how much do you want to go to the charity? And you can choose 100%. Like I just want to give – 20, 30, 40, like however much you want to give to like Doctors Without Borders and Humble Bundle's fine with that. So uh, you can you can give as much or as little and they just basically have like different guidelines. Like if you buy a, pay a dollar or more, you get this. If you pay like five, eight or, yeah, it's like a dollar or more, eight or more gets you like four more books, 15 or more gets you five more books, 18 or more gets you everything. So... Uh, de- again, I definitely recommend it. Death Watch is a f- it's a fun game to read. If nothing else, there's a lot mm-hmm. of neat information um, and some neat adventures. And you know how good of, for like a long term campaign. I don't know how Death Watch is, but for like one offs or little short like two to three part campaigns, it's an abs- it's an absolute blast. I, I def- definitely recommend checking it out. I'll put links to the show note links to this in the show notes. But you can go to humblebundle.com and look for their bundles and it's their just look for the pay what you want uh death watch bundle. And uh other than you know that and I don't like I said I don't know if there's been any like Steam sales or anything. Steam Steam prices for video games have been up and down just because they've been r- rolling so many sales just because people are buying mm-hmm. playing so much stuff online. But uh but yeah, so definitely check that out. And ooh, what's this? A something new has just been posted to Warhammer Community while we have been talking. Ooh, something big is headed this way. I'm going to play the video. You all won't be able to hear it. I'll, I'll it'll probably end up capturing the audio, but I'll provide some commentary. Once there was a king. Once there was a king beloved by his people, people. and they're showing like uh, hieroglyphics designs. In his ambition, in his ambition, he broke broke the the boundaries of mortality, mortality. and it shows him like talking to the Satan. He freed us. He freed us from from death. He granted us revenge. It's like showing all these weird, like, headless lich guard bodies. In his wisdom. And then in his wisdom, he sailed into the lightless void. He's in, like, a, a ship that looks like a... Like a... One of their arcs. Now we stand in the... Now we stand in the light of ancient suns. Surrounded. Surrounded by frail newborn empires. Empires. The stars. And the stars whisper of our king's return. King's return. Ooh, are we getting the silent king returning? That would be awesome. 
and then they like show the stars and the shape of the Necron Sifter. Return May twenty third. Warhammercommunity.com. Ooh. So in a return couple... to the old ones confirmed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, in a couple of weeks we're going to be getting some sort of uh, Necron reveal. So I hope that no matter what they do, that we get like new good Satan models. <laughs> that would be cool. I, I, honestly, the one that's in the uh, Tesseract vault is not bad. It's just it's a shame that's the only way to get it. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, like the the Deceiver and uh, the the, the, death, the Nightbringer. Nightbringer. They are cool looking models from like 1996. And also in fine cast now so it and, is its yeah. own problem. so it's like plastic plastic upscaled like cool versions of those two would be amazing uh, that bringing back the silent king himself that would be interesting so and the <laughs> the tagline on the facebook uh link of this is from the void something big is coming and nothing is ever going to be the same again take a look now that's certainly something big yeah so uh so yeah, that could be cool. Nice huh. <laughs> to push things forward. Yes. Which hey, this is going to add a whole new wrinkle to our discussion later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Update my notes here. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have notes. We we, we do no, notes. I don't. Okay, I, don't I was going to say. <laughs> I got I got my notes in my head. We are a purely professional op- operation here. We don't need notes. <laughs> Oh, perfect. No notes. <laughs> but speaking of things that are written down, uh, it's time to transition over to listener mail. Uh, as always, these letters are written by you, the listeners, and uh, we'll tell you how to uh, write in with your own letter at the end of the segment. Uh, we've got three, although a couple of them are a little on the long side, including a list review, which we haven't done for a little while. Uh, so first off uh, is a letter from Bill Penna, and Bill addresses an issue I think we talked about briefly during our last episode, but I felt it's good to uh, revisit this. Bill writes, Hello, preferred enemies. I would like to know your personal feelings on playing with gray plastic or unpainted and unfinished models. I listen to a lot of 40K podcasts, and quite a few of them talk about never playing with unpainted models. There's even a bit of snobbery and gatekeeping around only playing with well-painted models, and oftentimes I've heard people giving each other a hard time for models that aren't painted well enough. It bums me out. I don't play competitively or at game stores. I play at home with my two brothers and a couple of local friends that come over, and we've never had a requirement the models be painted. I've been playing since the 90s, and I came to the realization long ago that I much prefer spending my time putting models together and then playing the game instead of dropping hundreds of hours getting my minis painted. Where do you guys stand on bringing unpainted or unfinished models to friendly games? I'm hoping that there are others out there that are perfectly fine with just having fun with some gray plastic or primed plastic from time to time. Thanks, Bill from Canton, Ohio. So I think we know where I stand on this, is as people have heard, and I still have like many, many armies that are in gray plastic. I'm of the same mindset. I enjoy putting things together and I enjoy playing and painting is not one of my strong suits. Um, I do use going to tournaments a reason to paint things because I will admit they do look better on the table painted, but I'm not one who will say, Oh, those aren't painted. You can't play with them. But I do know there's lots of different, like, people have opinions on it out there but i'm i'm the one where 
If you have gray plastic, that's fine. If you have prime metals, that's fine. If you have painted models, they like probably look awesome. So, but I, most of my armies are still gray plastic. Yeah, I agree. Like it's, it's better to play with painted, but this, this hobby is so expensive and so time consuming that to say that like, Oh no, you can't play with those models because they're not painted or, or, you can't test those models as something else because you know in a friendly game. Uh, no, it's, I, I I don't I don't buy that at all. I'd rather have people be able to go through and proxy and and test things out and play with things before they decide what chapter tactic they want to use or what uh, you know what what models they specifically want to use for these things. Like I'd, I'd much rather than be able to kind of figure that out in in friendly settings so that when they go to those events they can more efficiently paint what they need and make those models look good for events yeah absolutely and and bill does ab you know he does specify he's purely talking about friendly games and he doesn't play Mm -hmm. competitively and yes if you're going to a tournament um they're going to have you know painting requirements i mean gw itself for like any events at their stores or at warhammer world or such has uh you know they're you know battle ready you know they're it it should have you know the the classic three colors and based kind of requirement, mm-hmm. and I do think that's a fair standard for you know competitive play where some you know like you're wanting to have a bunch of people come down and you want to have you know tabletop quality stuff that looks you know that's going to look decent like if they photograph the games or you know for something like that, um, but for friendly games, yeah, it's I mean. The whole concept of a casually, casual, friendly game, like especially it's between you and your friends, is you you both have, uh, you know, the same expectation. And if your friends are fine with you using bare plastic or primed models, then go with that. You know that that's fine. If that's what you, if that's where your comfort level with the game is, and you would much rather play the game with what you've got than not be able to use something because it's painted, um, then that's fine. I understand where the sense, uh, wh- where it can come across as snobbery from, you know, o- other other shows, other people who are like, we want to have, you know, we want to have nice looking models on the table. Because for, for some people, and I would not deny that I kind of get something out of this too, is part of the game for a lot of people is both the hobby aspect and the spectacle. And the spectacle of armies on the 40k table is definitely enhanced by having painted models it looks better when you have them but if we're mm-hmm. but that's that is that is purely an aesthetic thing well and the other thing you mentioned that i think is key for for any friendly game is that you mentioned was the kind of the expectations if your group wants to set the expectation that amongst your group as as a driving factor to get armies painted hey when we play our friendly games everything has to be painted. That's perfectly fine too. There's nothing wrong with that. You have to set that exception of that expectation up ahead of time, because that can be a powerful motivating factor to get armies painted. We mentioned, you know, Dennis mentioned before that the driving factor to get his armies painted, same with me is tournament play. This is the list I'm taking to a tournament. I'm going to get it painted. Boom. Now it's done. If your group wants to set the expectation up that, Hey, when we play on our Friday, you know, our Friday game, you have to have one model every time that is newly painted. 
that's great. That's actually a really great way to get people to paint. But set that expectation up ahead of time. Don't have people show up and then all of a sudden say, nah, your army isn't painted good enough. I'm not going to play. Like that's – so it's – I think it's just setting those expectations. But yeah. it's also okay for a friendly group to just set the expectation of, yeah, this guy doesn't like to paint. So he can – he's going to bring his gray models. Yeah. Well, it says – and it takes so much time you know, and, and, and effort to build, paint get good with the armies, you know, and, and build lists that not everybody has that time. Some people, you know, some people are working long hours. Uh, some people have other, you know, other personal responsibilities. They don't have as much time to paint. There shouldn't be, you should be able to factor those in. You shouldn't necessarily ex- exclude people from playing just because they don't meet your requirements. You need to make sure that you're aware of what other people have going on and what their, what their limitations are as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I will say GW has come a long way into trying to demystify and simplify the painting process and mm-hmm. trying to make it more accessible for people to have at least basically painted armies. Oh, and I will say contrast paints make that so wonderful. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot really of, there's there's a lot of tools out there and a lot of tutorials on on how to do this very quickly. And, you know, if you if contrast isn't your thing, maybe even just like hitting your, your primed army or priming your army with something like Army Painter paint or some of the GW colored primers, um, you know, maybe that's, you know, that's a like a colored primer and a wash will go a long way towards having an mm-hmm. army that most people would look at and say, well, that, that's at least you've got some basic paint on there. I, anybody who's saying you can't, you shouldn't play with this model or like you can't play with this model because not just that it's not painted, but it's not painted well enough. And again, unless the standard is three, like unless somebody says like, yeah, this has to be like tournament standard or higher. And, and that should be, again, that expectation, as we said, that needs to be set up before the game ever, before you even meet for the game. Like, when you're going to get together, like, that's a conversation you have. It's like, hey, is it okay if I use my unpainted models? Maybe it's a matter of, like, I'm not a big painter. I just don't have the time. Like, I barely have the time to build and play, which is what I really want to do. I just don't have the time to paint. Or the, yeah, I just don't enjoy painting. It's not really my thing. Have that conversation. Yeah, definitely have that conversation. But... I would be a hypocrite if I had said that I, that no, in a friendly game, you can never use an unpainted model. I have used so many unpainted or partially painted models, you know, both, you know, whether it's for practice games or just friendly games. Uh, and I can guarantee you there's a lot of competitive players that are not playing with painted models while they're practicing for a tournament. Like, yeah. they, because they're testing out different builds and seeing what works. There's no sense in painting something up at high quality or even like tabletop quality, if you're not going to end up using it. So I can guarantee you like they're either buying third, you know, third party, like halfway painted or not painted models, or they're, you know, buying and building models themselves. But yeah, they're not going to necessarily be painting things until they're like, okay, this list is locked down. This is what I'm going to bring. Now I'm going to make sure it's painted. So yeah, no, there should be no stigma. On, on that, as long as that conversation is had, as you know, and we t- you know a lot of people kind of poo-poo the idea of in in 40k, what sometimes referred to as like the gentleman's agreement. Um, in uh, in Magic, like we've talked several times about Commander Magic, there's a whole section of their rules called Rule Zero, 
which is rule zero is before we sit down and play, we have a conversation about what's going to be expected at the at the gaming table. Like, yeah, don't bring stuff that's like you might be able to say like, hey, I'm going to be bringing my like this really silly weak deck where the theme is everybody's sitting in a chair. Like that's actually like you hear a joke sometimes about like chair tribal and commanders. Like, yeah, all the artwork features people in chairs. That's my that's my deck concept. It's going to be hot garbage. But it's silly and I want to play with it. You would not bring that to like a high end, like super powered deck game because you're just going to get raffle stomped. And so you have that conversation beforehand. 40K, we have, for some reason, we have this idea that we should not need to have that because when we do a pickup game, everybody should be immediately on the same page. For tournaments, yes. Because the, 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 the round zero, the, the rule zero, the conversa- pregame conversation for a tournament is in the tournament packet when you sign up and pay. <laughs> you know, like when you sign up and they give you the tournament packet, that's their conversation because they've just told you this is what's yeah. expected. But if for a friendly game, have that conversation. That, it's fine to have that conversation and say like, hey, I'm going to – you know, I, I don't have my stuff painted or, hey, I've got my entire army, but I wanted to try out this, like, I want to try out using, like, Inquisitor Eisenhorn in my army, but I don't have the model. I, do, I wasn't able to get it. Can I proxy this character for it? Should be fine. Like, nobody should have a big blow up about that. Just have that conversation. That's the – so much in, in friendly pay, play especially comes from having that conversation beforehand and everybody being on the same page and knowing what you're trying to get out of the game before you came. Is it going to be like, a, we're going to play this hard, we're going to like run a tournament-style mission, but don't worry about painting your models? Or is this like, hey, we're going to do something kind of silly, We'll just maybe we'll use some narrative rules or something like that? It's up to you, but have that conversation and everything, sh- everything should be fine. But yeah, personally, I think all of us here are fine with using partially or unpainted minis for, for friendly games. Oh yeah, I'd I'd like never play if I didn't know a non-painted because <laughs> yeah. I'm just so slow at painting. And, and, and you pick the horde armies. Yeah, it's like poor yeah. choice, poor choice. But <laughs> <laughs> all right, moving on. Uh, this one's from Clay Sudrith, and this one's going to be a personal joy to you, Kevin. It's a long one, though. Mm-hmm. It's a long one. But uh, there's, there's a lot to cover in this one, but we'll continue. Okay. Greeting enemies of preference. I'd like to say thank you for new episodes. I am an essential employee in an essential business. I won't say who, but I will say that my employer has been pretty awesome about supporting us. Anyone else that's working in these strange times, remember what we tell Nurgle, not today. Having your podcast is a small comfort, and it's always been one of my favorites to listen to on my commute. Not every podcast I listen to has been able to keep their normal schedule, understandably so, and I appreciate what you are doing to keep content coming. Well, thank you, Clay. We are trying. Even when we are starting to run dry, uh, we're going to keep putting stuff out there because we can. Uh, I would like to horn in on the discussion from episode 214 about the new Sigmar army. I know Kevin had some beef with the Lumineth Realm Lords, but you have to admit they are fantastic models. I'm sure he'd like to grill GW on their choice of theme, but I don't think it was a mistake. I have found myself moved to possibly build a Sigmar army. And no, I am not sorry. <laughs> as, <laughs> as someone that has played a lot of World of Warcraft and his favorite race are the Tarin, the cow-inspired race in that universe, I am all about some battle cows. For the Horde! <clears throat> Back to Age of Sigmar. There I is not- no cow level. <laughs> <laughs> 
I am not going to say that the models that were showcased are not painted well because they are, but I think they fail to capture the spirit of the faction because when I see them, I am reminded too much of classic high elves. This is probably intentional. Sigmar doesn't have anything close to your classic high elves, so this will be good for players that like that kind of elf, but I see them differently. The Lumineth are attuned to the land of Haish and draw power from it. To me, that sounds more shaman than wizard. I feel they need a color scheme that makes you see them as shaman and not high elves in wizard robes with hammers and a cow fetish. Paint the robes earth tones, tans and browns with red as an accent color. As for the avatar, colors you'd expect to see on a bovine. I might even do black fur with white spots if there's enough to show them off. Keep the robes as before. Paint the armor metallics instead of the marble they have on the showcase model. I may even remove some of the fancier bits of the armor to make it feel more practical. I'd also want to do a minotaur model that's not covered in fancy elvish plate. I feel that would really help push my theme. Uh, how do y'all feel about alternate models, assuming they are of appropriate size? I would, of course, have the actual G- GW model in case an event required it for people that don't like fun. I'm not going to stampede to my local store the moment they're available. I'll probably let most of the line come out, graze over my choices, let my ideas marinate, and please just and pick up just a few things to test my color scheme and theme. Moving on, and I promise that's the last cow pun. Uh, actually, I'm going to pause there and like, how do I feel? How do we feel about alternate models, assuming that they are the appropriate size? I use alternate models all the time, so I it would be hypocritical for me to say no. <laughs> I am. Per- I like the creativity of it, yeah. uh, as long as, like you said, they're the same size. And just in the reminder that if you want to use alternate models at a tournament, make sure you run it by the tournament organizer and get them approved. Yes, and, but most yeah. of them are really cool about approving them, as long as they're the same. Dimension, size, height, all that. Yeah, and yeah. I know uh, our last Midwest Conquest, um, we had that was like when uh, uh, Chaos Deradeo Dreadnoughts was getting really popular, and we had a couple of players uh, converting their own, and rather than using the Forge World model, and so they would send in. We, we'd ask, okay, like send in photos and, and they were pretty good about like just being upfront, like, hey, I'm going to have some uh, converted models. Can I? Can I get uh get you to look at them? And they'd send us photos, and we would be able, we would then start doing research to make sure, like, okay, so the model you're building this off of is this tall. How big? It, like, and trying to find like reference pictures of like how big is a Derrideo? How big is it? Like, kind of get our our feel of how big it was. And there were a couple times where like, yeah, you need build up the base a little bit or put some more stuff on top or, mm-hmm. but you know, yeah, alternate models as long as they're the appropriate size and the appropriate footprint. Absolutely fine. And also, I like the fact that having the GW model on hand just in case somebody has an issue with it, like especially for testing things like line of sight, like, just be like, yeah, I've got this. I prefer to use this one, but if you need to see how big it is, let me mark where it was. Here, here's how the official model is. Now, for Age of Sigmar, line of sight's not that big a thing, but for 40K, it is a very big thing. So, yeah. But yeah, I'm with, I'm with all y'all. I'm just like alternate models. I, I, especially for a long time, there were certain models, like, if you wanted to have something of the appropriate size, you had to get an alternate model, <laughs> you know, as certain models became very old and outdated or just went out of print. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, alternate models are fine. Um, and and uh, the other caveat I will place on that is not only should they be the appropriate size, they should be clearly the thing that they are. They should be equipped yeah. properly. Uh, this is one of the issues that led to uh, LVO this year uh, having to crack down on venerable chaplain dreadnoughts from Forge World because suddenly there were a whole bunch of dreadnoughts out there that just happened to now be called dre- uh, chaplain dreads. 
and being completely yeah. indistinguishable from other chaplain dreads, even though size wise they were right. But it was like, well, this is a, you know, they looked the same as any other dreadnought. So how could you tell the difference? So, so as long as your model is clearly what it's supposed to be and is equipped clearly the way it's supposed to be, alternate models are fine from our standpoint. Yeah, again, and and I think this goes back to that same discussion before Ev's that, uh, uh, you know, rule zero discussion. Yes, again. That, mm-hmm. Like, that's something that you could just clarify right from the get-go before you even, you know, are going to play that make your opponent aware that you're going to be using these alternate models if it's like a friendly game. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it, it it's the same thing as you said. It's that have that conversation beforehand, and if it's with a tournament organizer, that you're effectively having that, you know, they're having their part of the conversation when they say, "Hey, you can use alternate models, but get them approved." And some events, like if you go to an, now, if you go into a GW store and try to use an alternate model that is not built from GW parts, they will straight up tell you no. Right now, like they're very big on that. They want their models being featured in their stores. That's their right. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. If, they're, if, they, if they are running an event, like I, th- for the longest time, I, and actually, this is one of the good things about me rebasing my sisters is because I know, I want to say, was it Warhammer Citadel? Announced, like they announced the game. It's like, yeah, you can't use non-GW bases. Really? And, yes. Like they're like, everything has to be GW, including the bases. And it's like, well, my entire sister's army is on custom made resin resin bases like you know third party resin bases i can't can't use them but if i rebase them all onto uh like gw plastic bases even if i like do green stuff texture work on top to give them like the right like temple or church floor look then i'm using gw bases and with custom sculpting and that's fine so <laughs> it's it's a weird bit but that's that's their it's their event their prerogative they've made that clear so if that's the requirement that's the requirement and i'm fine with it all right continuing on with the letter the made to order terminator librarian in plastic says a couple of things to me any new models in plastic are created digitally they use the same model and repose and then slice into what will be the pieces on the sprue this was talked about on one of the voxcast episodes they had just goodwin on as the guest this is not a re-release of an old model this is new so now we know they have a digital terminator model i'm not going to go so far as to assume we'll see new terminator models anytime soon but if they've put forth the effort to make a digital terminator sculpt it greatly reduces the effort of making more in the future I realize this could be wishful thinking. I'm okay with Mark 6, 7, 8 armor going away. Mark 10 is just better looking. I even like the lore behind Primaris. Fight me, internet haters. I'll see you on the battlefield. Terminator armor is iconic, and I'd like to see it stay in some form. What do you think? Will they find a niche for tactical dreadnought armor? I think emphasizing the deep strike ability and the customized ability is how GW can give Terminators a niche. Let them take more weapon options on the standard Terminators and give Terminator Assault Squad some kind of charge bonus on the turn they deep strike. How would you adjust the rules to keep them around, or is the future all Primaris? I realize this is a rule subject that comes off comes up often, and if you'd rather not retread that ground again, feel free to just talk about the odds of seeing a new Terminator kit. 
Lastly, I'd like you to give me a bit of direction on my next army. I've been wanting to build a 30k army for some time now, and I've finally settled on Custodes. I've wanted to try them in 40k as well, so I can get extra mileage from this army. Their armor looks great. I like the low model count. My main army is Tyranids. And I like being able to use at least some of the models in both systems. At the time of writing, the Golden Boys have not yet gotten their Psychic Awakening book. I'm not going to buy buy in fully till I have that and can plan my army lists. But I would like to get started. What are the safe bets? What are the things I could go ahead and be working on that will play in both games? Thanks for the advice, and thanks for reading all my terrible puns. Clay Sedrith, Hive Mind of Hive Fleet Lazarus, Master of the Rampaging pa- Panthers, and Level 120 Torrent Shaman. <laughs> so, so a couple points there. Uh, on First, we'll, we'll talk about Terminators. Will Terminators, will we see new Terminator kits, and what could Terminators do, and, or is the future all Primaris? I, I mean... We know that they have term- new digital Terminator models because they released the Chaos Terminators a few months ago. Mm-hmm. So it, I, I think it's entirely possible we could see a new Terminator box at some point. Um, you know, because I do think that the, you know, the few things we've talked about that the Primaris models don't have at this point is they don't, they have a, the, was the Gravis armor. Yeah. But that's not really Terminator armor. Like it is a little bit different. So I think Terminators still have a niche. Um, and then there's no real dedicated assault units yet. So I think that like your uh, Centurions and assault Terminators and things like that um, will still have a niche, even if they do eventually decide to phase out like the regular TAC Marine space Marine models. Uh, so I, I think there's still a, a, a niche for them there because they just do different things. Uh, and I would expect that, yeah, at some point you'll probably see a new Terminator kit because as you mentioned, they've got, you know, this, the, the model that they put up for, for uh, made to order as well as the other ones that they've been doing for, for chaos recently. So I don't think they will be drastically different. Um, but yeah, I think just having an updated models is something that I, I would expect to see soon. I would actually be very interested to see, and and I'm going to base this on the fact that the mentality of of like the way Primaris units are designed, fluff wise, are driven entirely from the old, like the horse heresy style army construction, where you have this one unit, they're all mm-hmm. equipped the same way, they just do this thing, um, and even back then they had. Terminator armor. Like, you know, we have like various different builds, Cataphracti, Tartarus, etc. I would not be surprised if we see um Primaris Terminators eventually in like yeah. kind of, you know, upscaled models so that the proportions fit Terminators because right now or you know, the proportion the proportions fit Primaris proportions. Um but I could see cuz like you've got Mark 10 armor which is your like your standard primaris and actually you've got then you've got mark 10 phobos which is your lighter stealth armor you have mark 10 gravis because that's the thing about gravis gravis is not a separate build of armor it's like an add-on to mark 10 armor it's like a variant Mm -hmm. of it but i think you could actually see like a new pattern of primaris sized terminator armor and eventually i think you could see a new terminators and i do like the idea of having terminators be that assault unit like that heavy assault like you've got your intercessors for your and hell blasters for your distance work you've got your uh, infiltrators for and reavers for like close up sneaky work 
Um, you've got aggressors and inceptors for kind of that slow moving forward kind of mid-range work or drop-in work. Uh, and I'd say suppressors kind of fall in that range too. But yeah, you're right. We don't have a dedicated real assault-focused unit. And having something that can just can hit like a a ton of bricks, whether it's against infantry or vehicles or monsters, would is a niche that Primaris just does not have filled. And like we've seen a few, like there's the new um, Imperial Fist character that they released, who's in like Gravis armor with like a mount, like a shoulder mounted grav cannon. And I'd like, I'd almost think like moving in that direction where it's like you've got a melee character who maybe has like a shoulder mounted gun mm-hmm. might be a way to like kind of move towards a Primaris Terminator. Because I do think that the future, and again, we'll kind of lean into this in our next segment, but um, I do think the future of the game is uh, more Primaris, more Primaris than less. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, that's where their model line is going. The Primaris are just, it sounds like they're more more interesting design. The proportions are better, so they just look better. So unless they're going to, where it's, I, whereas I see like the old Chaos Terminators, I totally see that making sense because they don't have access to this newer stuff. So they're going to make do with what they've got. Yeah. Now, moving on, uh, Dennis, this one's for you. Getting started with Custodes. What are the safe bets to buy? Kind of want to say any of them, but the definitely the the troops. Um, mm-hmm. The troops are very versatile because you can do sword and shield, or you can do spear. And I don't play 30k, so I don't know all the rules for 30k, but I can't imagine them not having those two options. And the the Alaris, the Terminators of their, I'm are very strong, and I don't know if they can deep strike in 30k. I'm assuming they can, but they're. They're a good one. The Wardens are good. I, I would probably lean away from the Forge World stuff to start. Although the Forge World stuff is probably definitely 30k related before it's 40k related. But those are harder to get because of the Forge World and kind of expensive. And the rules, I think, on those will probably change in the future because they changed. They got really good and everyone was using them. So you know how GW is. It's too good. Well, it's not as intended, let's tone it down. So the the big grav tanks they had were been toned down. Um no, but just just the standard off the shelf boxes of the troops, the elites, they should be able to play easily in both. Um if you're going for super competitive, I don't know, because it was the jet bikes, then it was the grav tanks and I don't know what competitive custodes are going to look like in the near future. We'll have to kind of wait and see. But if you start with like the troops, you're always going to need them. So that's a, the solid choice to start with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with the if you buy like a box of the guardians and then you know the wardens, that gets you all of the bits you need to make shield captains to make your banner, uh, your banner options. You know all, all of the different things that you want to do. Uh, to be able to make all the characters and all the HQ options as well. I would, if you're looking at more of a 30K and 40K force, I don't know that I would recommend the jet bikes or the Terminators at this point, because I don't know what they look like in 30K or if they're compatible with 30K, because Forge World does have their own 
specific uh, 30K Terminators and 30K jet bikes, even though those units are really, really good and you definitely want them in your 40K army, I don't know if they'd be backwards compatible. I don't know if they have rules for 30K for those. Now, I do know, like, your character, like, your named characters are not cross-compatible, obviously. Like, mm-hmm. Trajan Valor is not going to be showing up there. You'd be looking at, like, getting the Constantin Valdor model. Yeah. But, yeah, obviously, like, you could make a generic shield captain, and that'd be fine. Um, one difference is also the uh, uh, the Custodes. You can also play – it's actually considered Talons of the Emperor, and you can build in uh, Sisters of Silence into that as well. Mm-hmm. So that would be something to also look at. So you're saying I should, like, find people to play 30K so I can actually use my Sisters of Silence again, yes. right? Yes, actually. Well, I would expect that that's going to come back in their Psychic Awakening book, but that's I am pure speculation. Hoping. I am so. hoping. Yeah, I don't – so, like, there's the the data sheets for, like, the beta stuff. But, again, I think I just have the 8th edition data sheets. I, I actually have no information on 30K custodes. Yeah. I But I know, like, I do think they have – different terminators yeah that, that's what i'm saying like they do have the aquilin uh terminators which have like fire pikes and something else uh and like claw power fist type things as well as like the different jet bikes they have like they have the the more elongated jet bikes with like the that also have lances but have different weapon layouts and stuff so i don't know if your dawn eagle jet bikes that you get in plastic are compatible with the 30 with the 30k army list that's why i would i would have to do more research before i would recommend buying those even though the dawn eagle jet bikes are great and you want to have them in your 40k list i just don't know if they're backwards compatible for 30k and if you're looking if you're looking to get things that cross over and work with both it might actually be better to get to pay a little bit extra and get the forge world ones that i know have rules for both Okay, but I, I I wouldn't recommend that starting out either. I would I will recommend my statement the then terms. about the Terminators, and the Firepike Terminators are amazing in 40k because mm-hmm. you can drop them in and just flame something on the turn they drop in, and that's just great. I mean they're expensive, yeah. so they're normally going to get shot, and they have to hope you make all your two plus saves. But that's um, the army, though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, those from Forge World are good. I mean, and then you said the the claws. The claws are really fun to use in 40k as well. So probably stick to the troops. Like Kevin said, they make all the shield captains and all the other bits. Terminators and jet bikes, maybe look at what Forge World has. Because we know that's compatible in both. And truthfully, those are really fun Terminators to use in 40k. Yeah. And then once you start looking at the Forge World stuff, there's just so much cool Forge World stuff. Like the Teleman Heavy Dreadnought is a really cool firebase. Uh, the Ventari uh, Jump Squad guys are awesome looking. Oh, they so look like cool. there's so there, there's some really cool options once you decide to kind of go into that, look more into the the thirty k line. But starting out without having without having to do some of that extra research, yeah, just start with the troops for now. And that'll allow you to build up, get a couple boxes of the Guardians and maybe a box of Wardens. And that'll allow you to mix and match and create anything you need, uh, at least as your base. Before we move on, can I go back and milk that first part of the question? Sure. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I've been waiting on that one. Just wanted to get that uh, one. Just wanted to let that, that one, one out of the barn there, huh? Exactly. You know, just got to get a chew on the steak here for a little bit. Um, 
Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Um, they, I think a different paint scheme might might sell the the aesthetic better, and and it's not that it's not that it's even a bad aesthetic. I just I just don't know that I personally like it, and it's just one of those where like there's ways to build to to do that kind of nature bovine aesthetic without doing it so much. <laughs> Like it's, that's the problem is that like, I look at the models and I'd look at it and I'm like, okay, you could have done X, Y, Z to get the point across. And you also then did three other things. Uh, like the, the, the ones I keep thinking of are the, uh, I forget what they're called, but the, the, the ones with the hammers. And I'm like, that's really cool. You don't see high elves with war hammers, like in robes and the cool helmets and stuff. And then they have like this attached to their helmet, like this extra circle horn thing. And I'm like, that didn't need to be there. Like you could have gotten, you got all of the aesthetic and everything you knew about what this faction was without having the giant cow horn on top. So it's like, it's just that. So it's like a few of those model designs. And like I said, maybe it is the paint scheme, but a few of the model designs I look at and go, I like it. I would like it if it was a little more subtle. And I know, especially in Age of Sigmar, GW has not gone particularly subtle um, with their model designs. So it's, you know, and it works for that universe. I just, I don't know. I don't like it as much as the classic high elf stuff because the classic high elf stuff was ostentatious and regal and all this, but didn't feel like it was over the top. So that's, that's my little thing about why I don't necessarily like the cow elves, but. See. Now, I, once I, I see the models in place, they might they might work they might work better, and they might look good. And you know, there may very well be alternate paint schemes like in their battle tone mm-hmm. that have them in those like earth tones, and maybe that will yeah. look you know gel a bit better. Although, honestly, I dig that they look a lot like classic Hyles because Hyles were always an army that kind of appealed to me, and I tried to start one of my own, but that was back when it was Warhammer Fantasy, and that was a bad idea just because. Warhammer Fantasy. Uh, don't at me. Um, so, although, you know, hey, it's the old world is coming back and they're slowly starting to reveal, you know, some initial model designs. So it's a thing. So, but yeah, I, I like the the very high elfy look of them. I'm glad I'm reminded of high elves. And I, I am tickled by the cow thing. I, I find it very amusing. So, not like in a not like in a ironic way. I just I think it's kind of a neat idea that I wouldn't have expected. Well, like I'm looking at the because I'm kind of looking at some of the pictures they posted on the community site uh, for this army so far, and like they just had an article about the uh, uh, I forget what the name the actual name of the unit is, but like the living armor with like no the light of Altharian, light of Altharian, yeah. Like they've got in this one like a picture of the shield, the spearman and shield guys, the captain you know with the sword the 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 light of etherian armor and then like a couple other ones with like picks and stuff and they all look really cool because they've got the same motifs like you look at it and like yeah this will fit in the same army with the guys with the giant cow horns and stuff but they don't have all of those things on them like it's just emblems on the shoulders or on the weapons and i'm like this looks better to me just because it's a little bit more toned down and subtle and I know that's just personal aesthetic, but that's what like I particularly like those better because it's just it's a little less overt than some of the other yeah. ones. 
Well, and, and we're talking about personal taste, so it's always going to be a mm-hmm. subjective argument. We're not necessarily going to agree, and I think that's fine. Yeah. But See, I, I just prefer – I prefer it to be cooked to, like, medium rare, and you prefer a little more well done. <laughs> okay, that's it. We're done. We're done with that. <laughs> no on. more. No more. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on. We'll move on, on to our – On to a more stable – uh, subject. <laughs> I think it's time we put that one out to pasture. <laughs> All right, moving on to our last letter, which is from Arlo Neeland. Arlo writes, huge fan of the show. Love your mix of competitive and hobby slash fun you guys have. One of my favorite bits of the hobby is list building. I'm curious of your thoughts on this list. First, some background. Started off Space Wolves Army because Space Vikings. Also, the fact that they seem to play the best hero hammer around, my favorite way of playing. Now with Saga of the Beast out, I figured it was time to finish off the army. This list is a semi-competitive list to play versus my friends. Two of them run horde slash screen lists. The Nid player just picked up 30 30 Termigants that he deep strikes and then unloads like 90 shots, possibly twice with a strat. He also has the usual hordes of Gene Stealers and Gaunts backed up by some of the bigger shooty units, Swarmy and Flyrant. Uh, the Death Guard slash Demon slash Thousand Suns player loves his screening units and usually bling- brings at least one 30-man blob of horrors or plague walkers or pox walkers, the tough zombie dudes that minus one to hit in packs of 20 or more. With this list, I just don't see a way to avoid or remove big blobs of infantry. The Wolfen with Frostclaws are my answer, but it doesn't seem the greatest way to deal with these. Also, I've been thinking about removing the Phobos Priest and dropping in another Rune Priest with a jetpack to keep the list all regular Marines. The Cyberwolves are there as screens for the Smash Brothers, and the Company Ancient is an excuse to play my Gregor the Fellhound model. Let me know what ideas you have. Uh, So he has has a Battalion, and then he has a Supreme Command Detachment. That is basically his 2,000 points. Uh, His Battalion is a HQs. He's got a Wolfguard Battle Leader. Uh, with the armor of Russ uh, and uh, jump pack storm bolter thunderhammer, he has a wolf lord with jump pack saga of the wolfkin. This, so this is his warlord is a wolf lord with jump pack uh, saga of the wolfkin storm shield the wolfenstone and yes he has spent the extra command point for the extra artifact uh, thunderhammer and then a wolf priest with a jump pack and a power fist. So we've got three HQs all jump capability all capable of hitting pretty hard. Uh, then we've got a unit of Grey Hunters with, uh, looks like four Grey Hunters with bolt pistols, bolt gun, chain sword. Or let's see, it's, let's see, 78 points would only be like five, five or six models, right? Yeah, yeah so, so each of the standard groups. five model squad with a Wolfguard pack leader in it. Yeah. In two of them. Yeah, one of them does not have the Wolfguard pack leader. So he's got, I guess, two six man and one five man. Correct. And the okay. six mans, both the Wolfguard pack leader has that storm shield. Yep, storm bolter, storm shield. So is he in a Terminator armor? No. Just re- okay, just regular armor with storm bolter and storm shield. Okay. Yep. All right. And then yeah, they're all otherwise all chain sword, bolt pistol, bolt gun. And then uh, elites. He's got a unit of uh, four thunderhammer, uh, four thunderhammer storm shield. And four, and then a wolf pack leader with frost claws, and then a wolfing unit that's all, like, five models, all frost claws. Two units of two cyber wolves, and then a unit of thunder wolf cav, uh, all three with, uh, uh, three models, all with frost sword and storm shield. 
Heavy support is long fangs, one, two, three, four long fangs with plasma cannons, then a long fang pack leader just with a chainsword and bolt gun. Then a flyer, uh, he's got a storm wolf with twin hill fast cannon, two last cannons, two twin heavy bolters. And then going into a supreme command attachment, a rune priest with a jump pack plasma pistol, uh, runic armor, and runic axe. I think they all have runic. Do they all have runic armor? Uh, runic, yes. uh, then a rune priest. Uh, he doesn't specify the spells on the first Rune Priest. He does on the second, Living Lightning, Fury of the Wolf Spirits. Living Lightning, Fury of the Wolf Spirits, and then Jump Pack, Plasma Pistol, and Runic Axe. So they're both equipped the same way. And then the Rune Priest in Phobos Armor, uh, Camel Cloak, Runic Sword, uh, Temporal War Corridor, and Tenebrous Curse. So he's using the uh, Obfuscation uh, right. Discipline. And then a Great Company Ancient with a Wolf Claw, which is his excuse to run Gregor the Fell-Handed from the old uh, Burning of Prospero set. Yes. So, yeah, he definitely has an utter lack of dealing. Like, he can hit things hard. He yes. can hit big things hard, but he can't hit, he can't deal with lots of little things. Right. I mean, the, his best thing at lots of little things is this um, flyer, the Storm Wolf, with the two Hellflash cannons and two twin heavy bolters. That, that's his big guy for sure. Because, yeah, the plasma cannons there have a lot of, I mean, they're better than the last cans because you have better shots, um, and that's what it looks like he needs. And you don't really lose much with them, so that's a. I mean, I, I pointed that out. I'm like, I'm, I like last cans. Oh no, plasma cans are better for here. Yeah, the only thing I could really think of when, because like you said, lack of shooting would be a redemptor dread, because that thing has a ton of shooting. Yeah, if you do like the double Gatling cannon. Because you can have, like, the, the heavy Gatling cannon on the arm and then on, like, the main arm and then, like, a smaller Gatling cannon on the other. But uh, yeah. that'll get you, let's see, because the heavy onslaught Gatling cannon is 12 and the regular onslaught Gatling cannon is 6. So that'd be 18 shots. So, yeah, that'd, that'd go a long way to thin. It still wouldn't wipe one of the hordes, but it would. No, but it would put a dent into it. Mm-hmm. Um, the question is then how to cost that into the army. Um, if he did drop the rune priest and Phobos armor, that's most of the cost. Um, and then he could get the rest of it by dropping some of the, well, right now it looks like probably all of the, um, cyber wolves, which I don't know if, if, you want- if two units of two cyber wolves each are going to be effective screen. I mean, they're, they're yeah. there to just kind of have in the way so your characters can't be targeted. Right. But they're going to die so fast. So, I mean, the, yeah, like you said, they'd probably save him for one round of shooting rather than too much else. So they can't get targeted for one one unit shooting. Right. So I, I think if you had a different way to play or the other thing, which I don't know I'd recommend, would be dropping the storm shield wolf guard battle leaders because that would get you the points as well mm-hmm. well that's about the same if you drop both of them it's the same as one squad of cyber wolves so no i'd probably drop the cyber wolves yeah well, the other thing that i would recommend um and i know it probably it may go a little bit against you because i don't think he specifically said anything about not wanting primaris but uh if you want a character that is able to cut through hordes uh let me introduce you to my friend ragnar uh, blackmane <laughs> Uh, you could basically drop like the Wolf Lord and Jump Pack with the the Battle Leader. Actually, the Battle Leader with Jump Pack and replace it with Ragnar. Same cost, 
And Ragnar is better in every way, except he doesn't have the ability to move quite as fast. Okay. Um, Ragnar also is cheaper. Oh, wait, no, he's the exact same cost yeah, as the Wolfguard Battle if Leader. If you swap yeah. him out as the Wolfguard Battle Leader, exactly the same cost. Don't have to make any other changes. You you do lose the speed, but he will tear through like a unit of Termagants or things like that. He'll just he'll just annihilate. He'll he'll rip through those things by himself. And maybe instead of having the the storm wolves or the cyber wolves as your screens, you actually kind of have to screen with your, some gray hunters. Well, yeah, and, and actually, but hey, the gray hunters are better by being close to him. Well, and yeah, I'm just, well, I'm assuming that uh, one of the two squads of Wolfen is being put inside that storm wolf. Yeah, I would hope so. Yeah, because the storm wolf can hold what sixteen, and each wolfen counts as double. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, so you couldn't yeah. put both squads in there because that would count as 20. So he's got one squad in there. If you wanted a unit to be able to, like, be a blender like that, the Frostclaw Wolfen with Ragnar backing them up and giving them all well, the rerolls. So the one downside is you can't put Ragnar in the in the Stormwolf. Oh, because he's, he's Primaris now. Right. Yeah. Okay. Which, yeah. which that does suck. Like, you do lose... You do lose that, but what heck? What you do is you put the other unit in the storm, the stormclaw, whatever the hell it's called, stormwolf, uh, and then you just run Ragnar with the other unit on the field, and just have the, you've got two units of gray hunters with the storm shield that could potentially screen for them. True. Okay, and what what were you thinking about cutting to put in the uh, Redemptor Dread, Dennis? The the any of the HQs. Per choice, but since he mentioned the Rune Priest and Phobos armor, dropping that and the Storm Wolves or Cyber Wolves, sorry. Only, yeah, that only problem that with doing is to... that is that then his Supreme Command attachment's not legal. It yeah, be if you got... just move one of his three HQs from the yeah. battalion down to that other one. Yeah, true. And theoretically, I'm trying to think. You could um, actually you could move the uh, the Wolfen. And the Great Company Ancient into a Vanguard, and then still have room for one of the HQs. Uh, not if we're dropping, because the Supreme Can Man needs three, and the Battalion yeah. needs two. Okay, yeah, so so but the Battalion can, but the Battalion can hold three. And what I'm saying is, you okay? So, or oh, the, drop the Supreme Command. Well, the, well, yeah, you'd drop the. I mean, you'd give be giving up. Well, you'd be giving up one CP, but you replace the Supreme Command with a Vanguard detachment, and you could put an HQ there and then move the Wolfen and the Great Company Ancient, the Wolfen from the Battalion, the Great Company Ancient from the uh, Supreme Command into that Vanguard, because then that's your three elites, and now it's legal. And I think you can hold two, is it one to two HQs? Yeah. Yeah, so so then you'd still have spaces for all the HQs without having to drop anybody. But you need to drop one for the points. Right, you point. drop the Rune yeah. Priest for the points. Absolutely. The Phobos Armor one. I don't know yeah, if that saves you much, but sure. Well, if you do that... Yeah, well, you don't do give up you're... a CP. You you still have two legal detachments. If you drop the Rune Priest and Phobos Armor, your Supreme Command detachment is no longer legal. You could move somebody from yeah. the battalion into it. Yeah, and then they're both still legal. I, yeah, I, mean, I, yeah, I guess you could, yeah. It... I think it's just starting deck chairs at that point. If you yeah, you know, it's, it's yeah. six and one half dozen yeah. the other. Yeah, but because uh, I don't think space was 
as far as I'm aware, don't have like anything that they get for specific detachments or anything like that. Right. No, they don't. Okay. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, it's whether you keep the, the Supreme command or the, the Vanguard, it's, it's really the same, but if you make those changes, that's at uh, 1998. So you basically, at that point, by making those couple of changes, you've saved two points. You're basically null there. You have a bunch of extra shots with the Redemptor. And in my opinion, I think you have a better melee character that's better at taking out specifically the hordes with uh, with Ragnar. So. Yeah. I'm just trying to think if there's anything else if he has, like, if he's got... Like if he, I mean, Ragnar is so good. Like that should definitely get around any. Like, well, I want to have all all classic Marines. Yeah, but Ragnar is so good. Um, but if you didn't want to have the Redemptor, is there any other? Um, lots of shooties, not really. Not really. Well, either lots of shooties or lots of fighty. I mean, you could always. So the Redemptor is 159 points. So we have it kitted out. You could always, you know, throw that 159 points into more Thunderwolf Cav, either another unit, because the Thunderwolf Cav, it weighs a kit out and has 150 points. Uh, you could kit out, double that unit, make it bigger and have six guys, which gives you, you know, more, more ability to chew through those. Uh, you could potentially add more Wolfen. So, like, for example, the, uh, the Frostclaw Wolfen. Make a bigger squad, so you go. Yeah, because if you were to if you were to go to eight on that, um, because you could still fit eight in the uh, flyer in the flyer. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so that's a two hundred and seventy two points by adding in uh, three more there. Let me drop the redemptor. So that would still give you fifty nine points to play around with. So you could potentially up the other squad couple other possibilities looking like again if if you wanted to go like without adding in a redemptor it's not quite it's not nearly the number of shots but bjorn with his assault cannon or possibly murder fang Mm -hmm. both of those are solid bjorn and the assault cannon is really nice right now um and then murder fang is a blender right which Murder Fang is going to be difficult for those those mobs to really damage because they're I mean they'll have a lot of hits but they're not going to get a lot of wounds in and he'll yeah both of them will just murder whatever there gets in with them. The downside on both of them though is they're slow. They are slow. Murder Fang's a little since, bit better but not much. Since looking at this list, there he's got a lot of things that move the twelve inches with jump packs or. The cavalry, we're slowing down his list. I think that, <laughs> but the thing is, if you're if you're one, I don't think you have anything that is both fast and will provide the number of attacks that he's going to need to deal with with mobs. No, I agree with that. I mean, the only thing that popped into my head would be like Eldar jet bikes are fast and have a lot of shots. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, wrong army, wrong army. <laughs> well, like I said, I think that if you're wanting to keep it fast and extra attacks and i think adding taking that points and adding it into the thunderwolf calf and making or, that unit bigger is probably your best bet or the wolfen in the storm um, or the wolfen in the storm fang yeah storm wolf, sorry wow or storm wolf whatever they're called storm the storm storm <laughs> wolf wolf storm storm wolf wolf, wolf. <laughs> moon 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 <laughs> 
So I think there's some fun. I think there's some options there, but uh, I, I kind of like having the Redemptor Dread in there just because extra extra range shooty is always is always good. Right. And also the Redemptor is a fire magnet, and if he sh- mm-hmm. your opponents are shooting or trying to deal with that, it'll let your other guys get closer to the front faster. Mm-hmm. Well, not faster, but hopefully taking less yeah, shot. Unopposed. Yeah. Yeah, and between the Stormwolf and the Redemptor Dread, you should be able to take out one of those, you know, one of those thirty-man squads. You know, hopefully, you just got to focus fire it. You yeah, you fo- yeah. yeah, you focus fire on that, and uh, and then like your Gray Hunters with their bolt guns can, you know, clear out the stragglers. And then, and then you, you know, there's not enough left there that even if they do survive, they're not going to be able to really effectively tar pit anything because it'll it'll die when it hits any of your assaulty stuff. Yeah. And the thing is, like, even like as far as like screening characters and such, you have a storm wolf. The storm wolf can be pretty much wherever you need it to be, most likely closer than one of your characters is. So, as long as there's any unit that's not a character that's closer, your characters will be protected. So. I mean, you and with the Thunderwolf cap, it's like, yeah, you've got all the the Smash Lords and such. You're just gonna have to use them a little bit, which is, sounds weird to say about a space wolf army, but you're gonna have to use them judiciously and not just run at the nearest thing immediately. <laughs> you just have to practice. You know, positioning is where it's gonna come down to. But yeah, it, it, it's gonna come down to to tactics on this, and yeah, it's just he. Yeah, this list as it was is really constructed to fight things that his opponents are not bringing. <laughs> yeah, It'd be a great list against either of Kevin or my melee lists. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It would it would tear those apart. <laughs> well, hopefully, Arlo, that gives you some ideas on, on where to take this to kind of fill in those holes to deal with. Uh, deal with hordes and if you have a letter you'd like to write to us whether it's commentary on something we said on the show a question for our opinions a rules question uh look at a list um there's uh three good ways to write to us uh first is uh you can email us our email addresses are our first name at preferredenemies.com so rob at kevin at dennis at richard at preferredenemies.com you can find links to that on our website uh, and second is Facebook. We are at facebook.com slash preferred enemies. Uh, you can like us there, follow. Uh, we post things that we're working on, news, new releases, updates, etc. things like that. You can like us there, follow us, send us messages. Uh, third is uh, Twitter. We are at twitter.com slash preferred enemy, singular, because Twitter only allows so many na- letters in the name, and we're just, just slightly too long. But we take messages from all those three places, collate them together, put them in the hopper, and try to uh, get through as many of them as we can. And this empties our hopper again. So if you want to get a letter into the next episode, now is the time. So just go ahead and write to us there, and uh, we will get your letter together for the next episode. Um, We do also have a Patreon if you want to help support the show, although we do ask right now that uh, if you have spare money lying around, Put it towards uh, charity work, uh, food banks, etc. in your local area rather than giving to us. Uh, we do appreciate it, but uh, right now we are well-funded for hosting costs and such for the foreseeable future. So please don't feel any need to, con- to contribute if you, if you can't or if you would rather put that money towards a, a cause directly helping your community. Uh, and that said, you did help provide Richard with a new microphone. So Richard is coming in much yep. clearer today. 
Yes, yes. Yes, he sounds very good. So thank you all for for the funds. These are the things that your funds helps provide provide is they help provide they pay for our hosting costs they pay for new equipment as needed and as we've had all adjust to doing remote recording um they would normally uh pay for travel expenses to go to events so we can cover them for you but those are all kind of on hold right now so uh like i said we're doing okay so and you're not missing any content content none of our content is hidden behind a paywall there's no patrons patron exclusive shows that you are missing out what you're hearing is what we put out every two weeks or so ish that said uh you still don't listen and we have a new patron (laughs) so ian (laughs) plimmer uh thank you for supporting us despite our protests otherwise but uh no we appreciate it we do really appreciate the help uh not only do you do you all help support and keep the show financially viable as far as like like i said covering our costs and such but it's also the support lets us know that uh you guys appreciate what we do and we thank you very much for listening to us for nine years now (laughs) dennis got a uh, facebook memory from a post of mine nine years ago saying hey we're getting ready to be interviewed on the uh on the 11th company to promote our new podcast so it's been a long weird wild nine years so i guess I guess that would have been, yeah, April. April of 2011 was when we started. And so... We sound uh, old. We, we Well, we are old. But uh, that means that uh, 2021, we've all got to make it through to 2021 because we've got a decade to celebrate. So, um, so yeah, we'll be here. We're going to keep on trucking. I want to make it at least 10 years. Uh, so uh, we will continue putting out those shows. Thank you for all your support. Uh We're going to take a quick break for sponsor identification, and when we come back, it'll be time to talk about some baseless speculation on what might be happening once Psychic Awakening is over. See you in a bit. Miniatures. We build them, we paint them, we love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Care Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the Battle Mats from Game Mat. They're professionally designed rubber-based mats with just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a Game Mat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, 
They've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back, and that means it's time for our main topic, which, as we said, is baseless speculation on what's going to be coming into the pipe after Psychic Awakening. Uh, do you want to preface this with the fact that we have not seen the last three Psychic Awakening books yet. All we know about them is the titles and the forces that are going to be contained within. We don't know if there's going to be any major revelations or developments from any of those books, although I would say, based on the track record that Psych Awakening has set so far, not so much. None of those have really come to any sort of actual conclusion. So uh, we're going to talk about both what we'd like to see storyline-wise, or what we expect to see. This is not so much what we'd... uh, the storyline part will be not so much what we like to see as much as what we kind of think might happen. When we get to actual rules discussions, that might be a little bit more wish listy. But uh, obviously, we just had a, a monkey wrench of a p- twist thrown in with the possibility of the return of the Silent King of the Necrons, which would be a huge development if true, if that is what this turns out to be. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that would be pretty pretty epic. Cause I mean, like that... on the level on the level of like Gilliman returning and Mortari and Magnus being yeah. added to the game. Yes, I mean the Necrons. I mean they've always had kind of well, not always, you know, but since the uh, the fifth edition reenvisioning of the Necrons, they've always had kind of a like a rogues gallery of like mid to high level leaders, but no like one big. Like defining leader the way like like said like there's Gilliman or Abaddon or something like that. This would be huge for Necrons like storyline wise, and who who knows if he's bringing more Satan shards into play? I know you know when we talked about the video, Kevin, you mentioned like possibly getting new Satan models. Oh yeah, because they need it. They desperately need new models. Mm-hmm. But you know that like we've. You know, there's a, there have been hints in 40k history, and again, some of these date back to the old Necron Codex. But like, there's the the whole thing, like the Void Dragon, which was supposedly hidden on Mars, or or that was the Omnissiah. You know, that that <laughs> turns out like they were actually worshiping a Satan the whole time and didn't realize it. So <laughs> there's any number of possibilities of what could come back with that, and and. I don't want to necessarily fixate too much on what rules particular factions are going to get. I think that's a little outside the the can of this this segment. But uh, so anyway, let's kind of like put what we know on on the table right now. We know that uh, uh, space wolves are busy chasing uh, the orcs and specifically chasing Gazgol around uh, the galaxy before he gets to Terra, which seems to be where his his final target is. We know that a lot of this stuff has been a little bit more regional, but we know that uh, Magnus tried to pull off a, uh, a ritual to awaken people psychically further, but that seemed to have been stopped partway through by the combined efforts of the Dark Angels and the Grey Knights. Um, We know that 
the Inari are still trying to find a way to accelerate the uh, the rise and the rebirth of Ineid, or Ineid, I think it's pronounced Ineid. I'd have to go back to that white dwarf where they gave actually all the pronunciations for everything. <laughs> um, uh, Blood Angels are still dealing with a Tyranid invasion and trying to fight that off from their home worlds. And of course, they're on the far end of the Great Rift. We've still got the Great Rift being this big thing that can be possibly controlled or magnified by Blackstone. Mm-hmm. And that is seems to be what the and the Necrons are doing. We know that the Necrons are doing some sort of uh, investigation into into Blackstone and its properties and why why people are or aren't psychers. And then of course there's the entire psychic awakening bit where we keep getting all these story pieces of people like average people manifesting psychic abilities like out of nowhere and sometimes they and whether they are controlled or not sometimes they seem to be faith driven sometimes not there's a lot of pieces in play but i still don't know if you'd say we have a cohesive view of where things are going yeah i think they've done a lot of setting up like story scraps and they haven't really pulled them together yet and i think that i i think that it if what's truly going to happen is Psychic Awakening is going to lead into a ninth edition, then I think these next three books that come out are really going to start tying these threads together and creating, because this is kind of creating the new status quo. Cause we talked about for a very long time, the status quo was very static kind of unmoving. They did a lot of things at the beginning of eighth to change the status quo. So this is giving us updates on it. And then they can start pulling some of those threads together to like, set a new status quo for a new edition. And I think that, I mean, obviously it's called psychic awakening. I think that thread has to be pulled on to some degree where you like, you, as you mentioned, you keep getting the hints of manifesting psychic powers and the Necrons are investigating this, like what's going on. That has to pay off to some degree in this. Um, otherwise, what was the point of calling it psychic awakening? Mm-hmm. I'm so, still leaning towards the the big thing of the end of Psychic Awakening of the Emperor of Man psychically awakens even more. Yeah. And I, be, and I think that's, yeah. Wait, wait, I, mean, do I you, don't think they'll do it, but that would be one thing I would love to see just because that would cause all sorts of turmoil and strife. And conflict in the story is what you need for a narrative battle game. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah, but d- does he psychically awaken by coming back to life or by dying yeah i was just gonna ask that by myself transcending i don't i don't know whether it's <laughs> gonna be either one but i see him transcending to godhood so so that's actually been a thread of 40k fan lore debate that has gone on for <laughs> years um what would happen if the emperor died like is yeah. is the golden throne the golden throne is keeping him alive which basically keeps the astronomicon going which allows you know void or you know warp ships to actually navigate but is it doing more harm than good by keeping him trapped in in a corpse body yeah and all the psychers they have to sacrifice him daily i mean true although hey if if the whole lot of new people are awakening psychically that's a whole lot more people you can feed him a lot, a lot more batteries yeah yeah <laughs> just and throughout the novels and stuff like there's you know the the Horace Heresy novels, there's a lot of talk about perpetuals, which are people that, and I believe that 
uh, which was a Vulcan, I think is also, was yes. also, like, I think Vulcan is considered, yeah, Vulcan is considered a perpetual as far as I know. So what that basically means is that these people are basically immortal. So like when they die, they regenerate. So if the emperor is a perpetual by, you know, by not letting him die, they're not letting him re, re rebirth into another body and into another, you know, another thing to be able to lead. So yeah, it's, it, it, it could be very, very interesting if they decide to pull on that thread of having, the emperor like come unplugged from the golden drum. Well, and there have been uh, hints like at the end of seventh edition things about like with, with like the gathering storm, the astronomicon flickering, like it, <laughs> it wasn't being held steady that the mechanicus that are in charge and the custodes in charge of actually monitoring the golden throne itself noticed that there were, uh, there was damage or flaws appearing that they were unable to fix because they don't understand the technology because supposedly the technology was dictated directly by the emperor himself, which then makes you wonder, did he intend this to be a 10,000 year long internment Mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, was this meant to be a, a shorter time, but he has no way to tell anyone. Although we know Gilliman has apparently had direct conversation with him in to some some matter or other right right and i think that will cause strife going forward because if the emperor did ascend into godhood all the ecclesiarchy and all of like the sisters and all them they would be like oh my gosh this is exactly what we wanted and all the space friends were like oh my gosh this is like what we said would never happen right yeah, that would that would, and then we we've talked a bit uh, about in the we've talked a bit in the past about the possibility of like an imperial civil war, and in the past it's been like we've talked about the idea of like old marines versus primaris or rifts between within particular um, groups of the imperium. But what, yeah, what if you had a rift of the you know the the faithful versus you know the the staunchly traditional there you know the emperor said he wasn't a god he was just a really really advanced man and that's what the the space marines have gone with what yeah what would you what would happen if the space marines were mostly proven wrong i think the black templars would be very happy (laughs) but nobody else would be but who else would be very happy would be the word bearers because lorgar would finally be justified (laughs) <laughs> Which would create a whole nother new rift between him and the Ultramarines, you know, because they've always, you know, they've been, they've been foes even from before the, the heresy, because the Ultramarines were the ones that were sent to basically bring the word bearers to heal when they were too busy building churches and not busy enough crusading to bring the galaxy under the Emperor's control. And then maybe a nice, neat thing we could stick here is. If Primaris are replacing the older Space Marines, maybe the older Space Marines, either the front lines against them or the spa- some of those might be chapters that convert over saying, well, we, we were supposed to serve the Emperor. We're going to go over here. And that's how you could have a Primaris, non-Primaris split or maybe some chapters mm-hmm. that don't have Primaris could move over. Yeah. And we've already seen there was the uh, story that was released a couple of weeks ago, which I still argue custodes did nothing wrong about the, uh, you would argue that I, I totally would argue that. Uh, no, that, so, you know, for anyone who was not aware, there was a psychic awakening story. 
uh, done uh, a couple of weeks back where the uh, the like the Sisters of Silence and Custodes, and then a unit of what they call Gray Shields, which are basically Primaris who haven't officially joined their parent chapter yet, um, arrive. And I think they were like the Brazen Claws chapter was the one that the chapter they were being delivered to. And it turns out the Brazen Claws chapter had gone renegade, like the 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 chapter master and such had gone renegade and the uh custodes heard about the you know they got word of this and they're like okay so all you brazen claw primaris on board your parent chapter has gone renegade and the custodes have had a problem with space marines for oh roughly ten thousand years i can't imagine why um but they don't tend to trust them a lot anyway and they're always con- concerned that they might go rogue based on their gene seed and so the custodes give the bra- the commander of the brazen claw primaris who are on board this ship to like okay you and your battle brothers are going to stand down and you will will sequester you into part of the ship you're going to turn down your you know turn in your arms stand down and then we'll apply a trial once your parent chapter has been dealt with and that was the warning they were given, and the the Primaris Brazen Claws decided, nope, we're going to stand up for our battle brothers who are on the planet down below. And so the Custodes proceeded to then murder them all. All of them. It was a nasty, bloody affair, but they managed, you know, the, they give you the, the very strong impression that, yes, the Custodes murdered all of them. That's still, I guess, probably a bit of an over overreaction on their part. But. I, I'm going to say no. I... I, I I I completely agree with this course of action, especially again, considering their viewpoint. <laughs> Isn't the Imperium's viewpoint on heresy is burn it? Yeah, see that, and the Sisters see, of Silence on board were completely on you know with the Custodes on this one. And this is why I ride for chaos. But <laughs> <laughs> so there's all sorts of things that could happen in Imperium. This Necron thing that came out, I think, could throw a wrench in the Eldar stuff. Because the Eldari, yeah. I mean, their their little conflict is, well, do we support Yanid? Do we, like, do our own thing? And they all want to fight chaos, but they all want to survive. Well, if the Necrons start rising, that was the Eldar's ancient enemy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that would give them another thing like, oh, my gosh, we now have to go deal with this, too. Because I truthfully don't think the Yanari are going to care about the Necrons as much as the the older Eldari. Because they're more focused on killing Slanesh. Right. And sure. like, that's going to be their main focus. But yeah, this is definitely a, a wrinkle in their plans that they don't need. <laughs> they, right. <laughs> although I could also see the Necrons, especially if the Silent King does return and kind of unifies all the dynasties. Although he's also going to come back to a bunch of dynasties that have gone a little bit mad over the millennia. <laughs> all right. But because uh, I... I I could see, like, especially, like, the Triarchs, you know, the because the, the Triarchs are very neutral, and they've always served, like, the Necron race directly rather than any particular dynasty. Um, the Triarchs, the Praetorians and such, will definitely fall in line with the Silent King because he's who yeah. they're loyal to. I could see I could see this leading to a couple of ways. It, you could have a Necron Civil War, like, where individual uh, dynasties have decided that they are not following the silent king whether you know it's because their their pharaons have gone mad or or just like no i'm i'm 
going to take things in a different direction or, yeah, you've been gone too long. We're not really beholden to you. Or I could see a mass Necron reunification and then a giant push to recapture the galaxy that they have they have prior claim on. Mm-hmm. Which is also something that the Imperium, on the one hand, doesn't need. But on the other hand, with the orcs and the... Uh, and the Tyranids becoming like greater and greater, like existential threats to everything. Like the Necrons could end up kind of the way the Necrons always have their kind of, and it kind of the way the Eldari are too. It's like the Necrons are helping, but not for any reason, not because they like you <laughs> just because <laughs> you, you happen to have a common goal for right now, but it's not going to stay that way. Yeah. I, I'm really curious where that's going to go. Um, honestly, for the Tau, I don't see a lot of change, strangely enough. <laughs> like, they're just going to keep doing their thing, trying to expand. Yeah. Like, it's kind of interesting. The Tau have a few interesting characters, but storyline-wise, they don't really have a lot of big inner conflict. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, is, um, is the nature of their race, so I get it. Unless people don't like Shadow Sun associating with Farsight enclaves. I there could be a little bit of that. Farsight enclaves are still kind of seen poorly by the ethereals. And there's still the issue of like the survivors of the fourth spear expansion, which were the first ones that ended up like going through the ne- Star Tide Nexus, and when they were found, it's like they are like they are xenophobic the way the Empire is. Like anybody that shows the slightest sign of possibly going to chaos, they murder all of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to the point where like they have to get like corrected and re-educated. That's been mentioned in like one or two stories in during like the the greater good psychic awakening uh like storyline, but uh but even that's like relatively minor compared to everything else. Um like the Tau just don't like where the Tau show up, it's mostly when they come into conflict with like the Imperium or, mm-hmm. or like the, the I do think the storyline of the greater good was interesting because the Tau were only part of the focus there. It was really like, how does the Imperium deal with the fact that on one side you have the Tau saying, yeah, you should come join us. Things are better for you if you do. And then on the other side, you had the Gene Stealer cults having far more uprisings, which... The Gene Stealer cults throw another big monkey wrench into all of this because they are everywhere, including on Terra. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I think I think potentially for the Tau, the only real way to expand their story is to bring more, is to kind of expand their confederation and like bring more outside elements in. So potentially. Like uh, what are they? What were they called? The the human auxiliaries. Um, the the Guevesa. Guevesa, yeah. Like start bringing something like that in. Uh, like I've seen really cool artwork of like space marines that like you know that converted over to Tau and they're basically wearing like modified battle suit slash space marine armor, which is like you know it's just cool artwork. But I'm like something like that could be interesting where it's like maybe as the Imperium starts fracturing more and space marine chapters start leaving other things kind of go and maybe become part of the Tau empire. 
you start bringing in like the alien auxiliaries it's like that kind of expanding out their force in different ways i think that's kind of the only way forward for them to expand and then as that happens that might bring up additional conflict and stuff internally as people maybe aren't quite as willing to give up their identities to join the greater good things like that but that's more definitely more of a, a long-term kind of slow build uh, problem for that for that army. Whereas, like you mentioned, the Gene Steeler Colts, they're everywhere, and that's going to be a, a, an immediate problem for a lot of places. And you know that kind of brings up a, a, an interesting idea I hadn't really hadn't really formulated before. But up until now, and I say up until like from second edition all the way on t- until the present, we've had a very imperial slash human centric view of the game the game is Mm -hmm. like the storyline for the most part is always told from the viewpoint of a galaxy spanning imperium of man that does cover the entire galaxy and it's this one galaxy this one empire against all these threats from within and without and with you know that started fracturing with I mean, technically it started fracturing with Horus Heresy, but like in recent history, it started fracturing with like the Great Rift. And now we've got like the Tau actively expanding. You've got um, possibly the Necrons trying to reestablish their empire on the rise. You've got um, Gene Stealer cults popping up everywhere. You have entire systems falling to the Tyranids that are basically that just barely being held off. And it makes me wonder, it's like... Well, and oh, the biggest law coming in. Right, and like, and they've set up pretty much just along this path of destruction. So could we go from seeing the map, let's say let's say Ninth Edition comes out, or at the end of Psychic Awakening, a new galactic map is released. And instead of this map being, here is the Imperium of Man as this big circle, and then here are these, like little hot spots or yeah here's the eye of terror and that's a bad spot and here's the maelstrom and that's a bad spot and here's little arrows indicating like a wah or a tyranid high fleet what if we end up with a galaxy map that looks more like something out of like star trek or some other sci-fi where you have a whole bunch of smaller empires like you have like, you have the mm-hmm. Imperium of Man, but now it's just everything on the Terra side of the Great Rift, and not even all of that. It's kind of this big, chunky, fractured thing. And then you've got the Imperium Nihilus, which is like the the sub-empire that's on the, the far side of the Rift, but it's being carved away. But like, you've got the Tau Empire over here, which is growing, and you've got this and that. And suddenly, instead of being one big empire with a lot of hot spot troubles, you end up with a whole like just a whole bunch of individual empires and kingdoms and such that are at odds with each other some are temporarily allied some are not at all you know some are always at each other's throats could that be the future of of the 40k universe is no longer this one unified thing yeah i think if you're going to have a if you're going to have a game with like 30 or 40 sub factions it seems like I, I almost think you kind of have to have that to give to prevent kind of the the issue that we had under like the old keyword system of like, oh, you're going to play keyword Imperium and you can pick from uh, 60, 70 percent of the game to build your list from. I think one like it creates a more interesting story to divide it out more like that. But also like it does 
kind of like fix some game mechanics if <laughs> no like no, you no. can only pick from this subgroup of this or that like I, I think it i think it could potentially solve a couple of uh, a couple of issues like imperium isn't one unified keyword anymore yeah exactly yeah yeah no that would be interesting it's like if you could have like like maybe you you can't do or like let's say we go with that split of like the let's say the emperor rises as a god and now you have like the religious empire and the non-religious empire civil war and suddenly you you can't have like like make now all of a sudden like space marines and sisters of battle won't won't join with each other or but unless they're black templars you know something like that 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 could be interesting and it would cut down on some of that soup aspect that mm-hmm. people tend to dislike and also we we know like we've got the war of the spider coming up which is um you know fabius bile doing his own thing with his own special like sublegion of of chaos space marines that may not work well with other chaos space marines you know they i i'd be interested to see see how that would play out um yeah, no, that's an interesting idea that that would actually like fix that from a mechanical standpoint, and and as you said, like with this many factions, and it's it it's not like um it's not like Age of Sigmar necessarily where you know Age of Sigmar has that same kind of keyword based, and there's like four main like factions, mm-hmm. but the way their battle tomes are made, you really don't want to do soup. Uh, the only, and then in match play, like you can bring in like allies, but you're like limited to like no more than like of it's like no more than a fifth of your points or something can come from out of faction without impacting your your like your faction ability, which mm-hmm. allows you to do some filling in of holes. But a lot of armies don't really lean into that too much because they don't the benefits they get from just playing one army is actually better. And I know we've talked about that with like a couple of letter writers in the past of like that's where we'd like to see 40k with like those where monofaction becomes a stronger way to play an army anyway, but you have the option to bring in other stuff if you want. But yeah, having having like a storyline basis for that would be an interesting way to explain that mechanic without it seeming just, you know, by fiat. Right. Yeah, I, I think it would definitely I think it could make the game more interesting because I the, the game and like the the world of 40k and you know particularly was set up a long time ago and has kind of evolved but not really changed that much mm-hmm. so as you keep breaking out these sub factions more and more kind of went into the imperium side of it you, if you look at the game if, if you were to just walk up new and know nothing about the game and look at the list of armies and keywords you'd be like well why is the imperium 60% of the game or why is it you know all of these that can do this why are Tau, Necron and Orcs only allowed to play with what they have like from a game balance perspective that's really bad so I, I think that's a potential way to kind of break some of these other ones down you could potentially run into the issue of having just way too many sub factions uh, but I you know but I think I'd almost rather have that problem than having a couple of like huge monolithic factions and then a bunch of other small ones, you know, because chaos runs into the same problem. Like 
you've got a lot of options for chaos that you can bring. But like maybe if they were to, you know, ramp up and play up through like War of the Spider, distrust between the Chaos Legions and more and play more into the distrust between the Chaos Gods. Maybe it's one of those things where like all of a sudden you can't be like, no, Slanesh and Corn cannot play together. Like they are both chaos, but they can't play together. Like they now have different keywords. You can't take them together in the same army. Like, and that would give you more ways to kind of be able to play and build themed armies mechanically uh, while providing kind of just some additional balance to the game. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, uh, and you could still do things like, Oh, like let's say, you know, chaos gods, like yeah, corn and Slanesh can't play together. But you could still do, like, you could still have your, like, unmarked, like, if you want to play Alpha Legion and not take any marks, that would still be an option you could have. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Yeah, no, that'd be interesting. Uh, but And before we shift fully over into, like, mechanics for, for Ninth Edition, do want to do a quick check on uh, per, uh, Primark Watch. Which Primarchs do you think we're likely to see soon? Obviously not by the end of Psychic Awakening, because the books that those characters would have been released in would probably be out by now. <laughs> but, uh, but like figuring like maybe, you know, once psychic awakening is over, uh, there's five maybe that I think are, we could, we would be more or less likely to see maybe six. So I'm just going to start naming them out and tell me what you think of the chances of them coming back. Let's say within the next year. Start off with Lionel Johnson. We just saw him from Forge World. Could we see him in plastic? He's probably the most likely. I would say he's the most likely loyalist. Yeah, I I think he is the most likely. And they've hinted that his, I think they've said his chamber is empty now, like where he was kept. So he's up somewhere. We just don't know. And I feel like with... They, I feel like they dropped a story thread because at the end of Wrath of Ma- uh, of like the Curse of the Wolf and Wrath of Magnus storyline, the Changeling had released Luther to go um, gather like, and he was going to gather up the fallen and kind of like try to push back, and that's not the storyline we got for Dark Angels. Instead, we got them in Ritual of the Damned, which sent seemed more like a like, it was a side story to them, and they were driven there because it's like, yeah, they don't like Magnus because of what happened during Wrath of Magnus, but it also still feels like they dropped that story thread. Like, it seemed geared up to, oh, yeah, we're going to have a rematch between Luther and Lionel Johnson, and we didn't. And, right. and, and I'm like, please pick that storyline up again because it feels like the, an opportunity was missed. Okay, so Lionel Johnson, probably most likely. Lehman Russ. That's the one I want to see, but I probably not. So I, I would put Lehman and Khan and Vulcan kind of all in that same category of they're out there in the world. Their fate is undetermined, so they could bring them back at the drop of a hat anytime. I just don't see it. I think they would build some groundwork first. They've definitely not put in the legwork to, to bring those those characters back like they have for uh for Lionel Johnson. What do you mean? Lehman Russ is like named in so many books. No, they, they talk about it, but they book. 
the other than well, other than the Wolfen and the Thirteenth Company coming out of the warp. Well, and and, and all the, has, the yeah, all the Imperial Guard chapters name him for all their things. No, but but I was say like there's no hints that like he's oh, out there and active. It's like I'm oh, we a joke about the tanks, Kevin. Oh yeah. yeah. But like, well, other to, than the Wolfen coming back, like which uh, that would have been the time I would think not entirely would. true. During Wrath of Magnus, didn't Nyal have a vision? Like while they were fighting, have a vision yes, of Russ on the battlefield uh, on the battlefield with be them. Like five minutes, it could be five years. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, but I I'm saying it's not impossible. I think he's no. more yeah, likely yeah. than like Jagatai Khan or Vulcan, which yes. which. I'm not going to ask. Vulcan was going to be the next one I was going to ask about, but I think we're kind of covering that. Although I would say, what if, okay, so we talked about the possibility, we were talking perpetuals earlier. What if Vulcan would be like the story twist that they would reveal to kind of push that perpetual storyline? Yes. Now that's, that's the other one that I think could happen is we know that with, uh, and I forget which character it is, uh, Archeon. Is that the one that has like the Arkan the Traveler that has like the, Arcan, the collection yeah. of? Or no, uh, Anarchir. Yeah. Anarchir, sorry, Anarchir. There's. Well, there's. I love no, the Necrons. Well, no, that you're, I love the Necrons. I you're not thinking it's not Anarchir the Traveler. That's the, he's the one that takes over vehicles. You're thinking Trays in the Infinite. Trays in the Infinite. Yeah. I, I love the Necron faction, and I like the models. I hate the fact that they name them so so close. Um, <laughs> anyway, but like, uh, so you just mentioned that, and I blanked on it uh, again. Trazen, Trazen the Infinite, has, it's been mentioned in story and in the codexes and stuff that he has, you know, uh, in his stasis vault, a character in Baroque armor and all this like that. And it's largely hinted that it is Vulcan. So again, like that's in their back pocket. They could drop Vulcan. Khan could come out of the, the webway. Ross could drop out of the warp at any time if they want to pull that trigger. I just don't expect them to right now like vulcan's the one that maybe could happen in this and like you said that's the twist of like what happens and that sets up the perpetuals thing which could lead to the emperor but i would think that you would see more story hints before that happens yeah okay that's that's fair that's fair but i i i think of the three that like you know of like vulcan vulcan jagatai and and russ i think of the three at this point his would be the most likely to move the story forward in an interesting direction. I think mm-hmm. I, th- and again, I think they kind of dropped the, the Russ storyline a bit too with Rath yeah. Magnus. I, I, I feel like the, the follow through on that writing hasn't been the greatest. Either that or they just wanted to remind people he's still out there. Yep. Yeah. Um, couple okay so I, that pretty much covers most of the lo- i mean technically there's corvus corax could still i think he's theoretically still alive i don't think he's ever explicitly been said to have died or not but i don't know if anything like i, I don't know enough about about corax to really know where he, like i know he had a whole storyline where he tried creating his own space marines to to like refill their numbers after the Istvan drop site massacre and it didn't mm-hmm. go well, but I haven't heard anything since then. I'd it'd be weird if that, they dropped that during war of the spider. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, cause again, like he vanished into the eye of terror. Again, he could pop out of the warp at any point, but 
I would expect they would drop some hints before that happens. Right. All right, so switching over to uh, Trader Primarchs. Um, obviously, we have more. Uh, we have Mortarian, and we have Magnus. So, Angron. I would love to see it, but I I don't know. I mean, he's out there. He's a force, but I don't know that. I don't know. I, I don't know that he would bring anything story wise, other than just kind of being a cool model. Because yeah. he doesn't. He doesn't do anything in the story. Like as. As much as I love world eaters and I love corn, eh, they just they're out there. They're just out there doing their thing. They don't really have plans. Yeah, Angron's <laughs> just kind of a brute force weapon. You yeah, just, you drop him onto a world. There's chaos, and then and then he gets beat back, and that's just kind of right. how it goes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, which again, it makes him an easy model to drop into any storyline. Like, yeah, I mean, they yeah. could, again, they could drop Angron at any time and it would be thematically appropriate. It just, yeah, whether there is. Now, on the other hand, this guy has shown up in a lot of story bits recently. Fulgrim. He is the one that I think will happen next. I will agree. Yeah. Probably. So I, yeah. So, like, I think the I think the lion is the next, not, uh, well, <laughs> is the next currently not traitor Primarch which is a whole other thing. Uh, he's the next loyalist tr- Primarch that might get dropped in, but I think Fulgrim is the n- most likely to be the next because he just keeps popping up in stories. They just did earlier, uh, was it earlier this year? Or late last year, like the Slanesh update with the model line. I think you could, ver- you know, there's ties between uh, Fabius Bile and the Emperor's Children. So like, I think you could easily, more easily drop him into the story without having to do too many twists and turns. I think it's a cool option. Like the way he's depicted would be a just killer model. He's popped up a lot in the stories. Like, I think it just makes the most sense. Okay. Yeah, no, I could. Yeah. And I, I definitely agree with that. I think he's, he is the most likely and he is the one who has been taking like Mortarian and Magnus and, and Fulgrim have all been taking very active roles in the storyline. And yet he's the only one who isn't represented by a model. And, We've seen several descriptions of him showing up at places, like giant four-armed snake demon prince thing shows up. Even as far back as the start of 8th edition. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like they keep dropping hints, and they're never, they never seem to like find the right time to slot him in yet. So yeah. I, don't, I don't know what they're waiting for. But yeah, he, I do agree that he's probably the most most likely to be next. There's one more I'm going to drop. And that's kind of, again, based off some of the story discussion we, and, uh, that we did earlier. And I'm going to say Lorgar. If they did the emperor rises storyline and the emperor mm-hmm. becoming a God, could Lorgar come out of retirement to, and seclusion on his own, you know, his demon world to basically do a big I told you so to the Imperium. Because he's been kind of like the the entire uh, the Faith and Fury Psychic Awakening book is an entire thing about the the, the word bearers specifically trying to corrupt and turn like an ecclesiarchal world to mm. make a point. You know, just, just to kind of screw with the Imperium. That would be an interesting culmination of that if they decided to actually like, follow through on that storyline. Like, yeah, the, uh, the Emperor rises and then, yeah, Lorgar basically gets to show up and say, haha, I was right the whole time. It it makes sense. I have difficulty believing they're not going to do one of the four 
God specific <laughs> trader Primarchs first because they've you know, those are the two they've done so far, and I would I would imagine before they move on to any of the non God specific uh, Primarchs that they would they would do Angron and Fulgrim first. Yeah, I mean the God specific ones, they're definitely the more physically, you know, like they're the they're they're ones that they're kind of designed already. Like they've had we we mm-hmm. know what they look like, so it's not a difficult bit to design them. And yeah, they're and storyline-wise, they're the easiest to like they're like it's the least complicated to write in. Yeah. And so yeah, no, they they're most likely. I'm just like kind of as like as a dark horse candidate could could, yeah. Lord, could they? I'm not saying he. And, and again, it's not like is Lorgar the next one. It's like, could you see a Lorgar within like the next year, depending on which way the story goes, type thing. I, I, I just I see him being much more. I see him being involved in the story and being a big factor in the story. But I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know that the word bearers, as they're currently constituted, I don't know that they are enough of a unique faction to justify having their own demon Primarch model. Like if, if they were to expand them out, maybe, and maybe that'll, what's, you know, maybe they'll do something in war of the spider that adds them extra units. It's like that. But like right now they're, they're just another space Marine chapter or, you know, chaos Marine chapter legion. So it's like, I don't know. I, it doesn't, it's not saying it could happen. It just doesn't seem like that's the move they'd make. Fair, fair. And then I guess I'll throw this one in finally. Have they already released an Alpharius model and we just didn't know it? God, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean. Or would, would it I be would Omegon? Just, <laughs> well, yeah. That's another one that could be interesting. And, and granted, I don't know where the novel has gone because I think it's been. I don't know if they ever came out with the second one yet, but I know they did the the. They were doing the Eisenhorn burst Ravener. Uh, they've never done a, a follow-up to Pariah. They've never done the follow Okay. Because no. I know in that one, it's claimed that a member of Eisenhorn's retinue is uh, is Omegon. Uh, so again, like in the fluff, he is out there actively participating in the universe. We know that the Inquisition is going to be included in uh, Pariah maybe that's something they drop in the story. But I, I again, I, I have difficulty believing that they would drop a model for him that it would be more just like, ah, he's here in the story. Yeah. I, don't, I just don't know that they would do a model. Yeah. It'd be cool if they did, but. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to switch over to a relatively short uh, discussion on possible like ninth edition mechanics. And this is, I, like I said, this could be a little wish listy, but it's also kind of trying to, think of where like g like what kinds of changes gw would go for and i'm trying to think along the lines of like the difference between the first and second uh age of sigmar rule books because if you look at yeah. those those games the mechanics are pretty much the same but what changed there was i think a little bit more clarification on movement and also they actually added in command points into that game but they're used to power existing abilities that were like already there. They just kind of like codified. This is how you use those abilities. Now you have to have command points to spend to use them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so, so let's say psychic awakening wraps up and that does set the, the 
set the scene for a, a ninth edition or maybe just a revised eighth because i think really what we're going to get is more like a revised eight i don't see them Absolutely. yeah i don't see anything on the scale of uh, like the change from seventh to eighth but i don't even know if i necessarily see something on the scale of the change between like sixth and seventh or fifth and sixth you know where there were actually like even though those those systems were like the core mechanics were fundamentally the same the other like the changes that were built around them made those those games play wildly differently as far as like what what tactics worked and didn't mm-hmm. so like what kinds of things do you think we could actually see like especially with the idea of GW like taking all the feedback that they've gotten from you know from the last 3 years of 8th edition and what works and what doesn't so to be a little a little wish listy with it like i said i, I think that the biggest two areas that you would see mechanical changes that have the biggest impact would be changes to the keywords, potentially splitting those out further. Uh, and, you know, due to story changes to either split it out more or potentially roll, you know, change alliances and roll some up so that maybe you only have three or four big factions and that, you know, and have things kind of more there. But I, I think you're going to see changes the way the keywords work. And my hope is you're going to see changes to how command points work. Because as we've talked about at nauseum on this podcast, command points are broken. Like, it's that's the biggest swinging thing in the game right now, mechanically. And I, I would love to see them streamline it and limit command points. Because I think they're cool abilities, but I don't think there should be factions that have 30 command points for a game and somebody else and they're playing death guard that has four you know it's i i think that whole thing needs to be reworked and i think those are the two easiest systems to strip out and change without fundamentally changing the core of the game so uh and to put this into context for the the way age of sigmar works is if i remember right you have like you start the game with one command point plus one command point for each what they call war scroll battalion which is basically the equivalent of a formation from like 7th edition mm-hmm. and then you can basically if your army is like 50 points under like so like if you're a 2000 playing a 2000 point game and you build your army at like 1950 you can spend that last 50 points on an extra command point and then after that every turn you accrue one more command point so you start with a pool of like one, two, maybe you know three or four, maybe depending on how you build your army, and then you and then you will have like you'll earn one more each turn. So and then the economy on that is you like a lot of your heroes, like your 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 characters have hero abilities, but to activate those hero abilities, you have to spend a command point. So like if you had three heroes and you started with one command points, like, you could use one of them a turn, but you couldn't use all three of them in a turn. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, I don't think you could do something exactly like that for 8th edition. Obviously, like, we don't have the equivalent of formations, and we don't have... And while, like, hero abilities, we don't have any equivalent of that, stratagems have been priced based on building them in like brigades battalions etc they haven't like they'd have to probably go back and reprice a lot of stratagems Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, they would. Yeah. So here's an idea. I mean, you, you brought up Age of Sigmar. What about a, how Apocalypse handles it? Because they theirs seems like a system that's half Sigmar, half 40k. Then, yeah, where you just have like a, you have a hand of stratagems that you can play. Well, you you have a pool of points, and I mean, in this case, it's the cards, but the cards in essence are your points, and you get a set number of points each turn, like you do in Sigmar, as opposed to all a lump front front loaded, and then also maybe kind of like I guess old sisters of battle where as starting you lose your hqs you get less command points to use on the future turns that'd be interesting yeah because that's how apocalypse does it. if you lose your warlord well you've still got a leader but now you've lost your command point card for yeah no that'd be that'd be an interesting way to look at it and uh but yeah i, th- I think you'd you'd have to go uh, like f- however you choose to do it it would have to go from a here's the large pool that you have built by con- by manipulating your army build early on to here's how many command points you earn like here here's how many you can spend each turn mm-hmm. and with that that would also make things like rerolls suddenly much more dear if you only had like even if you had like three command points a turn or something, it's like, well, do I spend a, do I use that two point stratagem at knowing that I'm giving up the chance to do two rerolls or do I use this pinch reroll, even like this reroll in a pinch, even though I know it means I won't be able to use the stratagem that I was kind of hoping to use. Like, which do you let go? Yeah. And that seems to me, that seems like a much more interesting tactical decision to have to be made. And also it would potentially speed up the game because if you're not having to spend as much time on, you know, if you only get to make a couple of those command decisions per turn, it's, it's going to go a lot faster. You're not going to be bogged down as much. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. And it would also do things like depending, it would also depend like how, how you gave away command points. Like maybe if you have, like, I think you'd still probably do this, a similar style of army construction, but like brigades, might give you like two or three a turn. A battalion would give you like two a turn. Maybe the rest would give you one mm-hmm. a turn. And that would also encourage more varied army builds because suddenly be building something out of like three of the smaller detachment sizes wouldn't be nearly as uh, much of a downside as building a, a battalion. Cause like, yeah, also, I'd wonder if would you even forego like if, if you're not doing a pool, then would you even just get rid of the battle forged bonus since everyone kind of builds that way anyway? Yeah, I mean, I would think that 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 you could do that, and then just still require for match play that you have a battle forged army. You know? Yeah, but th- yeah, and then. Because then if you have, let's say you have a pool of, like, maybe you get three command points a turn, that also makes things like Agents of Vect, where it costs three to use, suddenly, like, a much more make-or-break play. It's like, I have I have to pull this off now because I have to stop you from getting your stratagem off, even though it means I can't use anything my turn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's, I just think in general it's a much more interesting way to use command points. The way it's the way it's set up right now, it's and I actually thought of the other thing that I think it's the other most broken part of the game. But right now, I think the command points is the most broken part of the game, or at least the most easily abusable. The most easily abused part of the game, yeah. 
Uh, the other part of the game that I think is broken and needs to be adjusted is the terrain rules suck this edition. <laughs> yes, they Please do. Please fix them. <laughs> Please fix them. I don't care. Anything's better than what we have. Make terrain terrain, rules actual terrain <laughs> rules would be good. Yes. <laughs> well, they are starting to put terrain rules on the terrain. They but are. Pieces that aren't very line of sight blocking. Yeah. Yeah. It's like just what we had. Yeah, just the terrain rules suck. <laughs> And it doesn't even have to be, they don't have to do a kill team thing where it's, you know, minus to hits with that. Just, they just have to come up with something that it's like works. Where, well, I don't know, they just have to come up with something because right now it's just so bad. Is the one thing I'd love to see brought over from kill team is the whole, if you're at greater than half range, you're at minus one to hit mm-hmm. the whole long range penalty, so to speak. Yeah, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind seeing that. Yeah, because that's one thing. I mean, and granted, Kill Team, there's a lot less ground to cover, but True. it is something that helps kind of balance shooty armies against assault armies. Is that, yeah, at long distance, and even like with, like, even when I play Tau, somebody being like 16 inches away from my like pulse rifle, that minus one to hit now means I'm hitting on fives instead of fours. That's a big difference. So use marker lights. Yeah, but even then, your marker lights have your marker lights are how harder to hit with at, at range yeah. too. But you know, you know, we we talk a lot about how the game is skewed towards shooting because of you know the space game with guns, but the game doesn't take range and accuracy really into account. Yeah, and then you could still have units and like they do in Kill Team, where it's like, yeah, you don't this unit doesn't suffer a penalty for at half at long range. So yeah, bringing weapon range while it would slow things down a little bit because you'd have to, you would have to measure each range unless something is clearly within half distance or clearly yeah, do that right now with like rapid fire and things. Yeah. You're, you're, you're measuring that stuff already. Yeah. So I'm just saying like, if you had to measure it for everything, it'd be a slight slowdown, but it would, it would definitely help address some of the issues that, uh, like assault armies have, it would take some of the edge off of like artillery. Like, like if a thunderfire cannon hit you less often because you were further away. And I'd also like to see like a penalty for hitting things out of line of sight. If you, even if you can, like, like I artillery should be hitting units outside line of sight on like a minus one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Even if, like you could even specify like never worse than a six, like you know, it's like you've always right, got a right. chance to hit with it, but it would be that would be a way to tone down thunderfire cannons while still having them be potentially useful. So, but like you know, there also there are some sniper or other units that are still deadly accurate at long ranges, so they could just have like you said the rule that ignores that penalty for long range. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think. Like improved terrain rules, um, improved range rules to kind of tone down shooting a little bit while still having it be effective, and yeah, and definitely changing up command points. I think I, I think I'm on board with all three of those, and I could see all of those being done without rat radically reimagining the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, one other well, thing that would I, totally change how it plays. <laughs> it, it would, it would, but I think it would it would skew that balance back where it would kind of bring it back to the middle where 
assault armies would have a better chance of getting across the field because they'd be yeah. harder to shoot those first those important like first couple of turns where they're still out of range. Yeah, uh, you wouldn't have to reprint or like reissue everything to do that. You could just you can make that change to the core book and then put FAQs out for the stuff you need. Yeah, for like the few the 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 occasional units that would do that and then maybe put in a stratagem that would allow you like you could spend a command point or two to ignore that. So like in a pinch you could target something accurately, but it would cost you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that I think that would be fine. Um, yeah, bringing in a couple of those ideas from Kill Team, I think, would be a good way to mitigate some of the issues that the game has. Uh, one other thing I want to mention is with the Psychic Awakening, could we see a return of something like we saw in like sixth or seventh edition, when theoretically any army could th- deny a psychic power? even if they didn't have psychers on board, but it would be like very hard to do. I hope so. <laughs> and if they don't maybe give some of those a relic or something, because I know you're, you're going to reference Tau. I think ethereals might have a way to stop it. I could see that them writing that into the fluff of they're not psychic, but they're not, they, they kind of stop it around them. They awaken that way, mm-hmm. and or the the Drukari will probably have. They can just probably take artifacts as a war gear upgrade to deny things, since they're known for stopping psychic powers with tools. The thing is, would that stomp too much on the sisters? The you know the fact that they have like an ability to theoretically deny powers on one d six, except they rarely ever do. <laughs> Unless they take the uh, secret right to add three to that role. Well, I think I think something like that could actually be very effective. Like uh, as you're kind of across the board angle to it, where it's like, nah, you could anybody could do it on like a D six if you have a chance to. But yeah, to get good at it, you'd have to do expend other resources in a way, um, whether that be command points or a stratagem or, or something else. So I, I don't know. I, I think there's. I'd like to see that because I think there's options that that should be in the game for balance perspective, where at least you should have the ability to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And I, I could also see maybe the psychic awakening is their excuse for maybe with maybe it doesn't even really mean anything about psychic abilities. Maybe it is the way you know it represents the way they're going to read they could redo command points to represent like yeah you have this pool of power that just keeps reforming that allows you to be like lucky or better at shooting or things like that. Mm-hmm. So I mean that you can, there's a lot you could justify under the, the umbrella of there's been a psychic awakening. Well, what does that mean? So but yeah, I, 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 yeah, the command point one, I think is one that needs to be done drastically that, that, that is because it does really out. It really uh, unbalances the game when some armies are made to be built to use a lot, to have a lot of them available, and some armies f- physically can't be built that way. Yeah. Uh, I, well, I'll toss my thing out there. You could what, say the same thing for shooting. What's that? Shooting. Some armies are built to have guns. Some armies have no shooting really whatsoever. Right. And same for psychic, psychic abilities, too. I mean, it's like right. there's... And you have to find a way to try to 
trying to find a balance where all of those armies can shine without necessarily overpower like being overpowered in the other two to three stages of the game yeah yeah so yeah I, and again this is a little wish listy but i think this this is kind of the the ones that we are more likely to see if if a revision of the current rule set came down and yeah i, I think all of those could be could be likely I don't want to say they are likely we don't have again no no hidden information but at the same time with everything they've released so far you don't want to like it would not make sense for them not that they haven't done it before but they would not make sense for them to release all these new rules for armies and then immediately render them all moot with like a a massive change of the rules so whatever they change it would have to be such that the everything they've released so far could still work with it and if they like command points you could still if you did the economy right you could still use the existing command point costs if you did the the command points properly so it it, it'll be tricky to see if they can or it'll be interesting to see if they can thread that needle if they change it and again this may not happen we may just get a revised rule book that brings in all the changes that they've added in already you know, so like that, maybe that's ninth edition is like, yep, uh, we took everything that we took all those beta rules that we've been working on. And now we've put them in the rule book. Ta-da, we're done. I mean, and I'll be honest with you, even if it's just that, that's still worth it. Yeah, that would still be good. <laughs> also, maybe a soft cover. A soft cover would also be nice. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that wraps up our baseless speculation episode, uh, at least as far as the main topic. Um, hopefully in uh, coming weeks, we'll have actual information to base speculation on <laughs> but uh until then uh th- this will have have covered uh what we're you know covered what we can imagine for right now um do we does anybody have any hobby progress i know everybody's lives are completely dis- discombobulated and time has no meaning so i don't know if anybody well, has had stuff to I work on followed what you said rob and i put in another kr order and should have that coming so i can have all my space wolves and rhinos and all those have like bags and boxes boxes for your metal boxes yes so that way another army will have it be pretty much have boxes because a lot of my imperium did not have boxes yet well for me the only thing i managed to do which actually kind of ended up being a lot was i got all the magic cards off of my table that i work on so now so i you can have... actually start painting things sweet <laughs> that is i can that is absolutely hobby progress sort of rearranging your space is totally hobby progress anything for you kevin uh so i now have all of my sisters uh primed which i believe i may or may not have had last time we talked i think you're I still building done... stuff last time okay. we talked it's it's all built it's all primed I have not sat down to start painting yet. I, it's been super hard to get the motivation to, to work on it. <laughs> the other thing that I did do that's not related to painting is I got both of my 3D printers back up and running. And as of right now, I'm working on printing prize support for next year's Midwest Conquest. So uh, it's going to be some cool stuff. Cool. You're planning ahead. Yes. Well, I, I'm Yeah, starting now. Because some of the things... Because like one of the items that I'm working on is it's like twelve parts, and each part will take about a day to print. So it's it's going to be ten to twelve days just to print it, and then I'm probably going to have to reprint a piece or two because something one of them I may may or may not have worked. 
and then I've got to like prime and paint and all that stuff. So it's, uh, I figure if I can get started on 2021 now, then, uh, we'll be in good shape. We'll have awesome price support. Cool. Um, as for me, I finally finished painting, uh, my commander, the new commander shadow sun and her two drones. And it's very interesting to see her old model and her new model, like side by side. Cause actually, if you look at it, it's like, you can see all the design elements that they kept when they kind of upscaled her a bit, but she's, <laughs> the size difference is, is considerable. And it's like, I mean, not that and she's you, like suddenly huge, but it's like, this makes way more sense. <laughs> you posted it on the Facebook page, right? I did. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's a really, you did a really good job painting her. Thank you. Uh, and it's, it's very interesting to see side by side that comparison. Mm. But, uh, as of yet, I, I don't know. I haven't decided what I'm going to paint next. I, I haven't like, I'm starting to run low on like airbrush thinner and airbrush, like flow improver. <laughs> And I haven't found any good sources for good prices yet, so I'm waiting for you know maybe just be a matter of like Viejo, because uh, that's what I use for for thinner and primers. Like Viejo may be kind of in the same situation that like Army Painter and Citadel paints were. Like they're they switched over their paint production to something else, especially because I think they're based out of Spain, and Spain yes. had a massive lockdown. So, um, so yeah, we're so. Arbi- you know, just arbitrarily, because I've been following like local game stores and stuff. Apparently, even though they're like now starting to reopen and get their restocks in, apparently GW is like the only one that they've actually gotten their restocks in from yet. So, like, I know they were talking about that they haven't gotten Army Painter, Vallejo, you know, Watsy hasn't sent new new supplies out yet. So they basically mentioned like, yeah, we got a shipment from GW. We're still waiting on everything else. We're hopefully in the next week or two. So. Maybe it won't be longer. Maybe they have to switch over. But yeah, so it's GW has been quicker on kind of getting things back out than some of the other companies. But I imagine the other companies will start here pretty soon. Yeah. So, so I'm trying to decide if like I want to even try like priming with my airbrush. Like I've got airbrush primer to spare, but I just don't want to run like burn my use up all my thinner on like getting that thinned properly or if i want to uh try actually go back to rattle cans because we're now in the time when it's warm enough although lately it's also been windy and or humid which is not good for priming so not humid here yeah i know it's not but you're also probably going to be melting soon so <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so I, I haven't decided what I'm going to work on next, but I do have, like I said, four sisters characters ordered and on their, eventually on their way. So hopefully sometime soon I'll be able to get started on that. All right, so that's hobby progress. So we've got one more thing to do, and that is the morale phase. And we did not plan a morale phase before we recorded the episode, but I want to throw one out here and see if anybody can back me up on this one. What We Do in the Shadows, currently airing on FX. Oh, yes. That is a great show. Oh, God, yes. Um, They're currently in their second, like halfway through their second season. Um, The first season is hilarious. The first season is fantastic. Yes, and and it is is very well, it it does a good job of, of leaping off from where the movie started. Like, it's that same feel and the same kind of you know energy that the movie had but it follows different characters and it 
it's just great. Oh yeah, and it is Taika Waititi and uh, Jermaine Clement doing like the the executive production, and I know yes, and. There's an ep- one of the episodes. I don't want to spoil too much because the story it does actually have a consistent storyline throughout. Each season yeah. has has its own storyline, so I don't want to spoil because some of the twists and turns are just fantastic. Um, but uh, there's an episode in season one uh, involving a like a conclave of vampires discussing mm. what's going on, like with the three yes. main characters, and. Mm. They bring in so much star talent for that because basically if somebody has played a vampire of note in a recent film, they're part of this conclave. And it is well, the actual even, actor. Not even recent. Not no. even recent, true. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just going to say Wesley Snipes on Skype. That's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, the... Uh, They've had some really good uh, guest talent on the show, but the the writing is fantastic. And as Richard said, as you said, Richard, it's a springboard springboarded off the movie, but it is not like the first. The original movie is set in New Zealand. You know, it's a New Zealand film about vampires living it, in New Zealand. Yes. This one is set in on Staten Island in New York, but it is it is exactly that same vein, that same sense of humor. It's on FX. Uh, it is definitely not one to watch with the kids. I will say that. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> they have no, FX has no restrictions on language and violence. <laughs> but uh, but it's all very it's done very comedically. The actors they have are fantastic. They're just absolutely great. The uh, and it's like what the, there's a and they've added an extra twist. And they, this is revealed in the first episode of the first season. So I uh, so I'm not spoiling anything. So in this house, there are four vampires living. Three of them are what we would consider our tra- the traditional, like, old world vampire who has come to the new world and is kind of a fish out of water. And they are undead bloodsuckers. The fourth character is a character named Colin Robinson, and he is an energy vampire in that he is this, like, balding nondescript guy who works in just like a cubicle farm office like everybody else and he survives by just draining energy from people through utterly mundane and annoying conversation and everyone has known someone like this yeah i think it's really interesting and i'm i'm curious to see like they they haven't really aside from like how he feeds like they haven't really done a lot to flesh out like more of the you know his peculiarities or how he works as a vampire um i'm going to say watch the most recent episode yeah, I, I, I knew that that was coming up in this season. I haven't watched it yet. Yes, so, the most recent yeah. episode, they dig into that hard. And okay. it is it is impressive. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's, it's fantastic. But, like, there's an episode earlier this season where the vampires try to figure out if they can if they can talk to their own ghosts because they're like, well, we all technically died, so we might have ghosts. <laughs> and you know like our spirits could theoretically be out there 
And they turn to Colin and say, well, except for Colin, we don't know if you're even dead or not. And he even goes like, yeah, I don't know what my own deal is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh... Yes, but... ghost ectoplasm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> but no, seriously, this this the series is fantastic. Um... Also, you will end up feeling so much for Guillermo, there, the uh, familiar for one of the one of the vampires who is kind of like the viewpoint character. But also, the entire series is being done as a documentary with like a camera crew following. You know, like it's very fourth wall breaking. Yeah. So, um, highly recommended. A lot of fun. Um, like I said, second season is currently airing. Uh, you can catch the first season like on on demand or Hulu. I know has it, and I think Hulu might also be showing the second season like a week or so after each episode drops. But yeah, uh, that's that's pretty much how I've been. I, I I either try and and catch it on on my on demand or or Hulu. But yeah, um, just a lot of fun. If you if you like vampires at all, or if you like like rude comedy, um, that you can't go wrong with this one. It's a lot of fun. Highly recommended, and definitely like we we've been enjoying watching. We we caught up on like the second season in like a day, <laughs> and then uh, and then yeah, we just just don't want to miss it. It's great. And that, I think, pretty much wraps us up for episode 216. Hopefully, in a couple of weeks, we'll be back and possibly we'll have actual new products and books to talk about since things are starting to, the pipes are open and products are starting to flow. So, uh, um, hopefully, we'll have more topics. And again, remember that mail hopper is now empty. So, if you want to get your letter into the show, uh, email us, message us on Facebook, message us on Twitter. And uh, we'll get those in and have your letters to read on the air. Uh, But until then, from all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. Good night, good gaming, and uh, go get yourself some stuff from GW because they're selling now. Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.